Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Iron Cannon Podcast, your home on the Star Wars Underworld Podcast Network, for in-depth discussion on the lore, the High Republic, and the whole canon of the galaxy far, far away. My name is Matthew, and I'm coming to you from the Underworld North Studio here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. As always, I'm joined across the continent by your friend of mine, Mr. Joel Davis. Joel, how are you doing this week? That's okay. I can like tell any crew this Ray film, the, the, the James Mangle film. I got I can say all those words again. So, Although I've been saying those words already, but still. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely excited to be able to talk about <laughs> on screen stuff, screen stories, uh, joining the podcast, Harriet. <laughs> uh, I get to say that again. <laughs> but first, Yay. first, you know, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Um, this week, you know, we are talking with Jedi and Republic, Saber and Senate, Altar and Throne. We have talked about that relationship quite a bit in the past, but this time we dive into, uh, you know, looking at the purported spiritual and political leaders of the galaxy and the key moments in that centuries-long dance, execute, order, EOC, deep dive. Looking forward to it. Here we go. Um, first off, before we do that, let's get the, some plugs out of the way. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and threads at Ion Cannon Pod. I'm getting back on threads, so I should get back on the EOC threads as well. We've done a few things on Instagram. Uh, yeah, here on the Underworld uh, YouTube channel, we got memberships, we got super chats, we got all that fun stuff. Uh, of course, all the Underworld socials as well. Uh, we got Discord, the Discord server. Uh, follow us for conversations, join us for conversations and events. Joel, we want to talk about what events have happened recently and coming up. Yes, we played Fortnite last Friday because uh, the original map is back on. Uh, we are not sure if we're going to have an event the week after next because the week after next is American Thanksgiving. And we and that means a lot of people are probably going to be out for the week. So we're, we are unsure. We have not made an official decision as of yet. We'll get back to everybody as soon as possible um, just to know because, you know, American Thanksgiving and people are going to be out and not wanting to play games. I, I should know this. Is that Thursday or Friday? Well, Thursday, Thursday, but that doesn't mean Black Friday. Friday is the Friday. Yeah. And then people are usually off and seeing family and whatnot. Okay. That makes sense. It makes sense to me, you know, Thanksgiving Monday. I was in New York. Thanksgiving Monday. So, you know, Thanksgiving mm-hmm. Thursday. Black Friday. We get Black Friday sales here, too, just because, you know, integrated economy. Capitalism. That. that capitalism, integrated economy. Um, speaking of integrated economy, uh, you know, speaking of Thursdays, speaking of Thursdays, uh, you know, a tractor beam. Chris Abbott and I, uh, most Thursdays, 12 15 p.m. Eastern, 9 15 a.m. Pacific. Thursdays, uh, yeah, I said Thursdays a lot. Thursdays, can never get a hang of Thursdays. Arthur Dent, Dent, Arthur Dent. Uh, usually got our, our comic book reviews. Comics come out Wednesday, uh, we review them Thursday. We also throw in the insider short stories. This past Thursday, we went through five stories, four of them High Republic stories, the beginning of phase three, kicking that off. And uh, for all for all our, our efforts, for all our reward, we're not actually doing it the tractor beam this, this Thursday. But uh, keep it, keep, stay tuned. Keep an eye. I, I have a work thing all day, so figure just give us a break. We'll give take a break for this week. But yeah, if you want to go back to see our thoughts on the first four stories to begin the High Republic Phase Three, that's the Insider Short, that Shadows of Starlight One and Two, and High Republic like the Marvel High Republic Number One. Check that out right here on the Underworld channel, by the way. Um, so it's on the Road YouTube channel where you can get uh, everything. You can get Iron Cannon. You can get Tractor Beam. You can get Iron Cannon on Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well. Um, I have to catch up and do all the Tractor Beam episodes, throw that up uh, on, on the, the, the uh, audio feed. 
have yet to do that. But you know, uh, if you if I use your speed, check those out. Speaking of which, I gotta gotta do one more bit of a plug uh, on the uh, yeah you know, on the the strike is over. The strike is over. So uh, that means the flagship podcast has come back, and that's every Thursday is at nine p.m. Eastern, six p.m. Pacific. And you, you probably already know that if you have. Uh, if you follow the, the, the flagship pod, Star Wars Underworld, and you've subscribed and you're here, because hey, Iron Cannon, Paper Cannon, who, who's doing the, the books and comics, at least giving more attention to that, welcome to the Iron Cannon podcast. I'm Matthew and Joel, and then Tractor Beams, Chris and me. Uh, Chris and I, yeah, we, we tend to shine a spotlight, and all through the strike, we decided to continue shining a spotlight on, on these amazing paper stories that are still still with us and still very much part of integrated into the Star Wars universe, the Star Wars world, and these Star Wars characters that we know and love. And so it's been great to continue that. And we're going to keep going. Uh, I don't know, Joel, I don't know if we have any, any more breaks planned coming up. Maybe one day we'll take a break. But uh, for now, yeah, keep the momentum up as far as we, we got a few few ideas for episodes coming up down the pipeline. I will get to a bit of uh, a bit of thing with the, the flagship pod in a second, but uh, first off, prior to that, what's your week in Star Wars? So yeah, my week of Star Wars was coming across a very interesting take on the High Republic that I never considered. Um, so this was from the Jedi Council forums. There was a big kind of, well not big, well debate of like, you know, how connected to the prequels this thing was going to be. Um, you know, back and forth, back and forth. Um, there are a few little things, like uh, one person said, you know, regarding the Sith, you know, if the Nile had started their activity by the time of Phantom Menace, he would have had his empire a lot sooner. Um, and to this person, the major part of the higher public is that the Jedi are, apart from the prequel version, either permitting the Nile to change them would be a sad cleaving to Star Wars strategy tendency. Um, and there's a lot of back and forth on whether it should, shouldn't. They think maybe it should have been further back to keep it away from the prequel setting, blah, blah, blah. All that good stuff. Um, but then, this part came in, which I really liked, because I think this was the most pointed part of this discussion, where someone said, and I quote, I don't see it as being the higher public's job to show why the Jai and the prequels are the way they are. What I see the higher public as being is about why the Rebellion exists centuries later. To restoring the Republic, seeing the prequels is pointless. So there has to be something else, something better to look to. I think it's also to be, in effect, an anti-tragedy story, Doing a load of prequel links tends to undermine this. Um, so I actually really like that. Get a drink of water. Um, sure. <laughs> you talk too fast. I actually really like that particular take on the High Republic. Because, yeah, if in canon it's called the Alliance to Restore the Republic, which I know people criticize anyway, but for other reasons. Like, yeah, why why, why does Mon Mothma, Akbar, even Leia, to an extent, want to restore this Republic in the first place? They think the alliance to burn down the empire. That comes later. Um, uh, but you know, um, so you know, what is it about this republic that like we're, they think is worth fighting for? Um, and you know, I think maybe yeah, I think seeing the high republic as the high point, like yeah, this was something worth fighting for and restoring. Um, so uh, yeah, I never kind of thought about it that way, but like yeah, you know, people like Akbar probably were alive in the final years of that high republic era. So they probably have some good times there. You know, Mothma probably studied a lot under that, or not. Well, he, you know, he, he, he wouldn't have been born by them. It's like he probably been inspired by that. So, yeah, I just thought that was like very much uh, a good point raised during this kind of back and forth debate about you know how close to the prequels the higher public should be, and 
Um, I just thought I'd point that out. Like, oh, that's a very interesting uh, viewpoint there. So, you know, as High Republic talkers, I thought I'd just bring that particular point across. Yeah, it, it's definitely an interesting one. I, I'm all, you know, you know what I think about either or statements. You know, that this is the point and this is not the point. Um, and, and I'll get to kind of what I think about history, the point about history in a second. But, yeah, it it is an interesting to say what one of the aspects of it, one of the the reasons, one of the reasons for it, and one of the things that we see in Charles Soule's comic, uh, ongoing the Star Wars ongoing comic, is he's seeing he's having you know um, Kess Dameron and Starlight Squad as being inspired by the you know, the this historical era, this historical historical public, and inspired by the history. That you would know in our in the real world, Charles Soule is part of laying down, so you can insert that. But in universe, yeah, it's an interesting note to say there was this time. There was this time where the government on Coruscant and the society that uh, that it sought to build was worth maintaining, was worth fighting for, was worth is worth hoping for again. It doesn't have to be on Coruscant, but um, you know, for the number of centuries, I think. It can do both. It can do both things. Uh, I'm more interested in the way it shows how it, it leads to Order 66, the way it shows, and we're going to get to that later on in this, this episode, but uh, that's the thing I'm more interested in because maybe because I'm a prequelist and I'm all about those narratives of decline and trying to explain decline, but it's definitely, yeah, definitely an interesting insight and one that, that does uh, fit with what we've seen in other stories. I mean, we'll certainly find out by the end of Phase 3 if this was supposed to explain a narrative decline or not. Because that's definitely the person who's very against it was, like, he doesn't think this is a tragedy and a narrative of decline. Yeah. So we'll find out in Phase yeah, 3. I, which is... Maybe we might not, right? That's the thing. We might not find out anything because it's set 200 years before. How do they know? We yeah. might find out more in uh, John Jackson Miller's Living Force. Or Acolyte. Or in the accolade, but I think even more specifically in John Jackson Miller's Living Force, because those at New York Comic Con said explicitly, you know, these are there are these Jedi who are who remember the good old days, and this is more of a negative spin on it. But remember the good old days where things were really great, and, and the Republic and the Jedi were were a well-oiled machine together, and the Jedi themselves were were at their height, really at the height of their powers, and. Yeah, it, to see how they feel about this decline, how they feel about what they've allowed happen. In part, I think, and I've said this, just the develop the habit of retreating back to Coruscant whenever they're in trouble. Um, yeah, and the fact that they get pushed back. But yeah, it's a point taken. It's a great insight. Again, I won't say anything on nothing, but great insight as to, I mean, how, I mean, what, what, that's certainly true, and this is what I'm getting at with, with bringing up the Charles Soule's ongoing comment. Uh, how members of the Rebel Alliance would look back to the High Republic, right? There are parallels in, in, through history where we look back, I mean, this is the tricky thing about a golden age. There's never such thing as a golden age. But, I mean, a golden age isn't necessarily an actual historical event. It's a, it's a symbol for what we could become. And that's, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I mean, no, I mean, I'm just, I'm just kind of curious. Um, I mean, I guess we'll find out in phase three. That's the only answer I have. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, um, 
yeah, so anyway, my, my week in Star Wars, uh, yeah, is similar to this, similar to all this this conversation. Uh, on on Thursday night, on the uh, the brings oh, getting back into the thing of things here on the flagship podcast, the Star Wars Underworld podcast. <laughs> uh, Dom was able to share his San Diego Comic Con interview of with with, uh, with team members of Team Luminous, and he he released that as a standalone today. You can find that link in the description below. Uh, you know, if you're if you're watching this after the fact, feel free to go there and come back and watch. You can you know, watch my comments on it. But it was a really great interview. Uh, again, it's, it was from a few months ago, from the summer, because of the strike and everything. But there's always something to be said for non-spoilery comments and non-spoilery interviews. I I thought the thing that really stuck out to me in that interview was again Charles Soule talking about how he was confirming in a way my theory about how. They, you know, yeah, it's the span, the stories we have in the publishing initiative are maybe one or two years, three years, the span. But they chose, they're saying they're telling the most historically significant moments of this time period and of how things affect the future. And that that is conscious, that is built in. We Again, we don't know from the great conversation we just had. We don't know what the ultimate effect is, except that we do know that they have the habit of being cahoots with the Republic so tightly and so trying to be to defended by the Republic and be a part of the Republic uh, that they become uh, slaves to the Republic and then uh, executed by, by the Republic. Effectively. But, you know, it, yeah, it's... Uh, trying to Sorry, microphone problems. I yeah, keep it sounding faint. Yeah, it, yeah. I'm trying to deal with different, different things here. Uh, you had it better earlier. Like you had it better just a while ago. Let's see. There we go. That's there better. we go. Turn the gain up. Turn the gain up. Okay. So yeah. Um. There we go. We're good. We're good. I can uh, hear. Yeah. I can hear. I can talk. I can speak good English. Yeah. And, and again, just to to reiterate, I mean, I I think so. There is a reason why they've chose 200 years and they said it's sufficiently further back, but also close enough. And that's the point is actually, it is close enough so that you could plausibly say these events affect other things. And, and the, the real world example I go to is, you know, in the, the early 18, 19th century, uh, the Napoleonic Wars and I mean, the war of 1812, the Napoleonic Wars and the, the, the revolutions, the American French revolution, really bringing in this wave of enlightenment, this end of this era of, of monarchies, the end of uh, you, the I mean, the, the divine right as, at its height. And then we have these republics and then the republics turn into empires eventually. But uh, yeah, the, the effect of having, you know, we can point back, we can say directly our current age and, you know, both the, the good of democracy the not so good of neoliberal economics, they, they, it, its origins are in events in that time period. And, and so, yeah, that, that is plausible to say, okay, maybe not in a different way um, with the general republic. But I mean, yeah, I could talk about, you know, the way the rise of secularism and, 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 and there are good things about secularism. I think there are some concerning things about the, about, uh, you know, uh, how do I want to say this? A, uh, nobody can have faith commitments, and those faith commitments can't inform anything. And 
that's not what pluralism is. And pluralism is having multiple faith commitments, being able to be present in society and informing the common good. And, and so, you know, we can say that that's kind of where I go. And that's you know, with, with order 66 to some extent. And I don't want to be that extreme about it. I'm happy to live in Canada and in our pluralist secular society. It's fine. <laughs> but there, there is this thing, at least in terms of the, the time, the linear time, 200 years is about right. And it, you know, it, it fits with our, our world now. And yeah, it's uh, and we'll see. I mean, who knows what's going to happen 200 years after 9-11? Who knows what, how that has affected things? It's already affected things so deeply now. So that's, yeah, just continue to think about history. Uh, we're going to keep talking about history throughout this episode because it's something, yeah, I mean, that's a, the wonderful thing about Star Wars. It's, it's history. Anyway, you, have you seen the interview, Joel? And uh, what do you think? I've seen a bit of, I didn't watch the whole thing, so, uh, no, nah, but, uh, yeah, it is kind of funny, though, how it's sort of, like, back to kind of the, my week of Star Wars, that's sort of the contention of you really see the centuries, and then the other person's like, no, I think you're underestimating the centuries, and it's like, kind of, kind of like the two kind of parallel thinking can exist at the same time, which, you know, I guess it's, that's debate for you. Um, yeah. But, um, Keep, keep twerking on that thing a little bit. Like it's it's good, but it's still kind of iffy that mic. Um, yeah. Let us know in the comments, people, how the mic's coming out for you. Yeah, I'm also because uh, yeah, how it sounds. That that's means. a bit better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, I got nothing. That that interview was really cool. So, sure. you know, High Republic. Weirdly, there seems so much of it, but yet it's only we've only scratched really the surface of a thousand of I don't know what the total amount of years is for the entire High Republic. Five, six, seven, eight, yeah. hundred years. No, yeah. A story. But we only sure. really scratched the surface. But yeah, fun. fun. I mean it's the, the era versus the initiative. Is oh yeah, yeah. All right. The moment we've been waiting for we've been waiting months for eyes on screen. No question marks. Just exclamation marks. Woo! marks. The strike is over. Uh and thankfully, you know, the actors got a deal that they can live with for the next few years thankfully um you know ai uh you know, there's some protections for ai protection some you know like a streaming bonus participation bonus so you know again it's not everything they wanted but hopefully it's something they can live with and they're gonna you know, gonna approve the the deal as as best they can uh so which means ahsoka <laughs> the show ahsoka the series um yeah, first of all, how's my mic now? Just checking checking the mic. I mean, I can hear you. It just sounds right. like you're kind of fuzzy. I kind of got that weird static. Maybe, maybe this is better. I don't know. We're trying to figure this out. Man, uh, I can get a little better from your far okay. away. So I'll, I'll relax more. Just got to relax <laughs> more. There we go. Uh, too too there much relaxing. Go. Too much relaxing. Too much relaxing. <laughs> uh, yeah, Ahsoka. What was your... Okay, we, we have a lot to go through. So we're going to do a full Ahsoka episode definitely coming up and this show gave us lots to talk about lots to think about uh let's to, to chat about in the discord chat about privately uh in in group chats and in, in facebook in messenger chats and whatnot but uh now on you know on the, the flagship they were able to chat about it and uh, they're gonna keep chatting about it so join the podcast area joel uh what's your what's one favorite thing about ahsoka that yeah, that's oh, I mean, what's what's there to talk about? There's so much. The Return of Rebels, Ahsoka, Anakin. What could I talk about? I'm gonna talk about Thrawn. Um, <laughs> who? <laughs> I, I don't know that guy. Um, 
Okay, I want to talk about, I, I can go on about Thrawn the whole shebang later, but I'm going to talk about one particular scene, because I wanted to at least narrow it down as quick best I can. Um, I really love the scene where Thrawn and Sabine confront each other for the only time in the show. There's just something really cool about that moment, and I think I love the moment where, like, Thrawn just kind of slowly gets into Sabine's face when he finds out, like, what Sabine did and just goes, you can't put the fate on of your galaxy on that belief. And it's means like, yeah, well, that's something you don't think you'd understand. And Thrawn just kind of steps back and goes, perhaps not. It's like, you know, I, I feel like Sabine just gave a the power of friendship over Imperial tactics kind of vibe. And Thrawn's like, maybe I don't understand, but I don't really care. I just want to escape. Um, I don't know. There's something about that kind of dichotomy of like cold, calculating, tactical, everyone's an asset. Thrawn versus Sabine's. No, I'm here to get Ezra out of here because that's what I care about more. Uh, yeah, maybe logically this might hurt, but like my friends are my power kind of vibe. Um, and I just really just like that one particular moment. And obviously, Lars Mickelson is amazing and he's so cool. Yeah, I mean, um, just like, uh, just like the Pergil. Oh, you're faded again. I'm so sorry. <laughs> okay, I'm trying to figure this out. Just like, just like the Pergil, just like the Bendu. Uh, you know, Wherever Thrawn, you know, probably the Night Sisters to some extent. What he doesn't understand ends up being his undoing, and, or and the the extent to which he can overcome that lack of understanding, then becomes his his ability to over to overcome the the circumstance. You know, he does get away. He does succeed at the end. But Ezra makes it back with him. So but Ezra makes it back with him, and you know, so is that. But then you know, so can to be understanding. But yeah, it, the the power of the bond that it, it continues to be his undoing and going to continue to be his undoing unless you know there's again some sort of conversion. I don't, probably, um, <laughs> you know. I don't think he's if he's working with dark evil witches on Dathomir. I think he's all in on the evil. Yeah, there, there's only ultimately there's only one very artful way I think his story is going to go now that yeah. we've seen him on screen. So. Very artful. It's going to be artful. I know that, but uh, I trust I trust Dave Filoni. I mean, it's not going to be from Rue. He's not going to be the one to stab him in the back or shoot him in the back. But still, it'll be it'll be good. great. Shot of great fan edits of of you know Lars in the costume, sitting back smoking, and then uh, I mean, interesting discourse around smoking and how it's bad for you. But <laughs> uh, you know the the, the whole uh, thing. Yeah, smoking, and then the fan edits of him. On the throne, uh, take chilling, or at least on the the, the bridge of the Chimera, whatever is just chilling there. That's uh, yeah, sir. Uh, I'll, I'll jump into mine. The one thing I loved wearing this T-shirt uh, for multiple reasons, you know, and, and I and I don't mean the thing I don't love is specifically just the flashbacks themselves, but you know, it's fan service, but it's not. It's still character. Those moments in Episode Five. It's both. I like it's both, but yeah, and, and you know, there I go with making either or myself. But it, you know, it it it's ama- it was amazing to see. Love seeing Anakin Hayden in live action in the Clone Wars armor. Love seeing Ariana Greenblatt having the year of her life. <laughs> you know, between Barbie and that movie with Adam Driver, and and now this, uh, you know, having a great time. All of it serves. Ahsoka in this time period, and 
that's what's so brilliant, so disciplined and focused about what Dave did in this in that episode, what they did throughout the season, is, is to say, yeah, we know how much you love Rebels. Yeah, we know how much you love Rebels. Here is their story going forward, and and to say, yeah, we don't know how much you love both. We're going to give you the implications of both, and Ahsoka reflecting on her own failures and, and how. And also just how she, her her own training was so much in war when it didn't need to be, you know, it was, it was, how war is a tragedy. And the implications of that on children, I mean, we're seeing the darkest implications of that in the real world right now. But, yeah, I mean, the, imagine, you know, volunteer, I don't know, our, I don't want to go into this too much, but I wouldn't. Yeah. to what extent are Padawans... Child soldier, not really, but you know, they're, they're, it, it's, no. it's a more accepted kind of thing. But to say that that meant she, you know, I, I mean, she was still able to be playful. And I love how, you know, even especially after that episode, after those moments, the playful, uh, kind of joyful Ahsoka actually comes back because she's reckoned with her role in, in, in Anakin's fall. And abandoning him, and how she, you know, she isn't responsible for it. You know, the, you know, kind of similar, a great parallel to, to Kenobi. So, I mean, yeah, that that just that episode right there. Um, you know, it, I mean, it made Ahsoka my favorite live action Star Wars period, uh, <laughs> without without exception. That episode is my favorite live action episode period. Uh, yes, the Jack Black episode of Mandalorian. I love that one. Yeah, this this one that moment was just above above Neo and everything I want in, in the Star Wars. Again, I love Clone Wars. It's my favorite series, period, and because of everything it deals with and because of the era. But it shows us the implications on on her this this episode. So, um, yeah, kudos to 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 Floney and to to everyone to uh, to Rosario and Ariana and Hayden and everyone involved for for putting together a brilliant episode. Even, you know, Mary Elizabeth Winston and uh, Natasha Rubadizzo and everyone involved. It was, yeah, uh, really well done show. Well, I just have to say, and now I get to reveal my prop, and I'm going to use this for other things later. I got here the Essential Guide to Warfare. And if you're wondering why I'm talking about this right now, they did it first. Yes. There we go. Ahsoka, Anakin in Clone Wars armor and a, kind of a live-action photorealistic Ahsoka. Um before even before the, the no, this was yes, yeah, was 2012. So it's well before the wow. Yeah, this was Legends material. Um, but uh, yeah, I just wanted to share that because y'all have to look at it. Um, but no, that was a great moment. That was a great episode. I love how Anakin is such a douche, but he's our douche. Um, it, like in in terms of the like the the Sith flashback or just the no, just in terms of his personality. He's kind of still got that douche douchey energy but i love it um or just i don't care is how, how is how i do yeah I mean, yeah i mean I, I love how he's just kind of very like i, I like like kind of like very pokey of so good like you know come on fight me kick my butt you know yep. kick your butt you know um very hardcore teaching method still even in death uh but no that was a great episode really fun uh they actually got the armor and the hair just perfect i didn't think they'd ever do it Correctly in live action, it's like, oh god, it's actually 
really good. Um, so yeah, uh, great episode all around. Excited to do the entire breakdown if soon. That's another thing I'll say is, is I'd hoped I'd, I'd finally get to the top of Uncanny Plateau, and I, I was there. I, I didn't. It wasn't a climb. It was already there from the beginning. Maybe, maybe it's because I was willing to do it going in, and that's that's a lesson for all you folks. Uh, there's a certain Marvel film called The Marvels out, uh, and if you go in there, you're like, "Ew, it's a movie about three women." Uh, you may not like it. If you go in there saying, "Oh yeah, I'm open for a fun, interesting take on uh, you know, the Marvel universe," yeah, you might love it. I, I love that. One. So, yeah, uh, you know, Uncanny Plateau. I, I'm there. I'm fine. I'm good. Uh, you know, all, all three of these characters were, were great to me. No problem. With so. If any, any for the thoughts there, we, we're nope. going to save, save it for next week. Not even for whenever next we, week. I don't know when we're, we're, we're going to talk about this. So, but save it for when, whenever we do. Um, okay, a bit of news before we dive in. Uh, there's some comics news. Revelations one shot uh, that comes out December 20th. Uh, this is first revelation. I'll bring up the, the Virgin cover by Rod Rice here. Uh, this is, this is the, the Virgin version of the cover here. The, the direct edition cover has the title and has, has different things. Um, Virgin meaning no no writing or no text on it. And I love those. They're just showcasing the art. Uh, and I'll bring the, I'm bringing this up because we also have some story, uh, the story details. And I'll bring that up then too and I'll bring this cover back in a minute. But first of all, I don't know how well you can see that. Um, so we, we have this, this is just inside you know, the, just the, the credits basically. And uh, so I'll go through these, and so what, well, what Revelations is? It's always Revelation number one. It had some sort of interconnected story, but it really did is set up uh, everything coming up in the next year. The big commercial, yeah, big commercial, but also it's just a big prequel. It's the break, like it's it's closer to an issue number zero, if you will, somewhere between an issue number zero and like an annual, but not quite. It, really does set up it doesn't because it, it's it's their their standalone stories or their 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 own stories that preview where all these other books are going including uh maceman do and, and maceman and django fett which I haven't started yet uh, and so yeah and some other other stories that are coming to an end hopefully possibly um hopefully in that that's you know where the the narrative arc of these need to go um so I'll just list these through, and I'll say, okay, so we have the ongoing, uh, which I also saw, A Trick of the Mind, uh, Dr. Afra Tall Tales by Alyssa Wong and company, Django Fett, uh, Stolen Hope by Ethan Sachs, Mace Windu Showdown at the Ocean's Bottom, like Ocean, almost like Ocean's 12 by Mark Bernardin. That's also Mace Windu, that's to me, a new comic. Darth Vader, Tool of the Empire by Greg Pak, High Republic, All the Republic, by Kevin Scott. Jabba the Hutt, Duel of the Reprobates, like Good Rabbit Duel of Fates by Mark Guggenheim. And yeah, so that comes out December 20th. And here's the curious thing. This is the weird thing, is some of these we can easily tell. Okay, so the Jabba story, the Jabba story. Uh, the Keeve story, the High Republic story is the Keeve story. Vader, uh, which is Luke or Leia, the ongoing one. Lando, the ongoing one. Obviously the base one is the base one. This hooded figure at the bottom, who is that, and what what story is Thrawn in? 
We don't know. It's this weird mystery. <laughs> I think Thrawn's supposed to be the Thrawn adaption that they're going to do. I think, that's But that's true. not in any of these. Oh, okay. So, who knows? I mean, that could be part of the Tool of the Empire. I mean, there could be multiple characters of these in each of these stories. That's also possible. Well, Thrawn is the Tool of the Empire. <laughs> yeah, it's possible. But you'd think he'd get his own kind of thing. Maybe it's a bit of a interestingly thought there then. Tool of the Empire, that might be a bit of a prequel to Front Alliances. To some extent. Also, like both, I don't know if that makes sense with the timeline. That doesn't make sense with the timeline. But unless it's set different, different I don't know. But, um, you know, I mean, well, when it's, you know, Front Alliances, that's still set before, that's still set before. You know. It's after season one, three of Rebels. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, maybe, maybe this. Maybe Tool of the Empire is just set before maybe the Vader comic is going to that time period. Before. I don't know. Probably not. But uh, it's just curious that we don't have these one-to-one. I was expecting these one-to-one correlation, uh, and we don't have that. So I don't know if you have any any more thoughts on any thoughts on this. No, not really. I'm looking just looking forward to it. It should be good. And, and, and drumming up in curiosity, there are there yeah uh, comics. Comics are there is so I'd say Star Wars comics right now are as good because they've always been uh, especially with Dark Droids. Dark Droids do so well. And hey, Hyrule Hubbuck Phase Three, off to a great start with number one. So <laughs> uh, give me more Keeve. Always up for more Keeve stories. You all know how I feel about Keeve, Master Keeve Trennis. So yeah, so there's that. Okay, speaking of Republic and Jedi and whatnot, and me needing a break with my voice, uh, Joel. Tell us about key moments in the Jedi relationship. Yes, and maybe keep adjusting your mic while I do more of the talking. All right, so we're going to talk about today a little. We're going to go over a summary of the Jedi and the Republic, two forces that have always been together because for over a thousand generations, the Jedi Knights have been the guardians of peace and justice of the old Republic for the dark time for the Empire. But before we do that, I thought we'd start a foundation by reading a quote from one Mr. George Lucas on what he considers to be the key of the Jedi Republic relationship before I start going over some stuff. So Mr. George says, they're not like that kind of cops who watch who catch murderers. They're warrior monks who keep peace in the universe without resorting to violence. The Trade Federation is in dispute with Naboo, who talked about Phantom Menace. So the Jedi are ambassadors who talk, who take, who talk to both sides and convince them to resolve their differences and not go to war. If they do have to use violence, they will, but they are diplomats at the highest level. They've got the power to send the whole force of the Republic, which is 100,000 systems. Though if you don't behave, they can bring you up front to the Senate. They'll cut off your knees politically. They're like, they're like police officers. As the situation develops, Clone Wars, they are recruited into the army and they become generals. They're not generals. They don't kill people. They don't fight. They're supposed to be ambassadors. So that was the recent latest George Lucas quote <laughs> yeah. from uh, the 2020 novel prequel archives. So I just thought I'd start there before I kind of get into the big stuff. All right. So the thing about the history of the Jedi and the Republic is we know some stuff for canon, but we don't know stuff for everything. So I'm going to use a little bit of Legends lore here. I want to thank both my friend Red Leader Antilles, if he's listening, who gave me a little bit of intro thanks to the Essential Guide to Warfare, which is my prop. I hey, actually I have sure read that book. Yeah. Really good, really good. By Mr. Jason Fry and art 
and with Paul R. Uquat, I'm sorry, if you're reading there, um, with a little bit of reading here. So, to get started, the first thing we gotta know is, so in the ancient time, it's gonna be mostly legend stuff, but we can probably just assume more or less that's how canon goes fell. The Jedi and the Republics do start as separate organizations for a long time. The Republic develops into the core, and the uh, em and the sort of the Jedi, the Jedi eventually ditch the core um, to go to Tys no, go to Osis, which is a little bit more in the outer rim. As the Republic begins to expand, a bunch of wars and stuff happens. The ancient past is very confusing. <laughs> a war with the Tyon, with something called the Tyon, do the Jedi begin to get back into the game? To read page to read passage thirteen, war was coming, and no one in the Republic seemed to see it. Despite warning from another mysterious society living from the far from the core, the Jedi Order had left its original home in the deep core centuries before setting up a set on a green world the Taiwanese called Idux, but they themselves called Osis. Except during their brief war with the Legion of Leto, few in the core had given much thought to the Jedi since their departure, and fewer had guessed that they were the young Republic's secret defenders working to check the Hut schemes and keep the Taiwanese divided. Now, strange with warriors with glowing swords appeared in the core, warning of war, but to little avail. Um, and basically, yeah, that's like the first big time the Jedi and the Republic get together. Uh, the Jedi, though, start having a little bit of, of, of meh with the Republic when they, uh, let's see, let's down the notes, when they decide to uh, sterilize an entire planet. Um, and then they're like, nope, we're out of here. Uh, but then once so the Republic tried to do that? Yeah. Wow. All right. And then eventually, when the Republic did, years later decided to give up their military, the Jedi are like, okay, we feel morally obligated to help you guys again. So it starts off a bit rocky, and the Jedi are very much like, we'll help you as long as you're a moral cause. And once you only start doing immoral things, then we're going to be like, mm, nope, we're out of here. Hmm. So that's the early, early, early stuff of the Jedi origins. Then the next big one would probably be the Great Hyperspace War, which is when the Sith Empire strikes for the first time against the Republic proper. Obviously, uh, before then, a little context, of course, you had the Great Schism, when the Dark Jedi and the Jedi split, and the Jedi kicked the Dark Jedi out. Um, so that kind of brings the Republic and Jedi together uh, for that. Um, and pretty much Sith Wars. Sith Wars happen, all sorts of Sith Wars, like with Revan, Vitiate, all that stuff. Um, I would say the Mandalorian Jedi Civil War was one when the Jedi kind of lost their way mm -hmm. and they came back. Um, I'm kind of going over this stuff. Yeah. It's all kind of smushed together. But um, so, but here's the one I'll get to, which I think, Matthew, you'll be the most interested in, which is the new Sith Wars around uh, 2000 BBY. I'm going to get my, my, uh, my thing here. So uh, this is another Sith War happened. The Jedi split again. The Sith Empire rises again. This happens a lot, people. This is kind <laughs> of a cycle. There was a cycle here. Okay, so for this one, um, the army, and this is when things get really bad. This is pretty much the equivalent of the Dark Ages. So Republic's not in good straits, and then the Jedi begin to form the Army of Light. The Army of... This is from Essential Guide to Warfare, page 42. And when are we talking about... When in the timeline is this? This is like around... Uh, like a 2000 BBY, 1000 BBY. Okay. In that kind of vague area. Okay, so before Rusan. Before Rusan. Before the High Republic. Before the High Republic. The Army of Light is legendary as the last great Jedi host of the Ancient Republic. 
mustered by Lord Haas in the closing campaign of the Nusus Wars, but the origin of this unique fighting force began to take shape several centuries before. Gotta drink some water. Mm-hmm. We We're the hydration podcast, guys. We're yeah. very ironic in that way. <laughs> drink your water, it's good for you. Yeah. By the beginning of the Nusus Wars, the Republic has endured centuries of turmoil. Cis and Separatist forces, not the Separatist, just Separatist is a generic term, sure. has gained control of the Rim and pushed the core world, while corrupt megacorporations have shaken off all but the most self-interested ties to the government. And many civilized systems have simply closed their borders. Only Jedi Knights had the will and skill to defend the helpless. These Jedi Lords began their careers as knights on a quest to defend abandoned worlds from slavery and exploitation. Gradually, they came to hold political authority over systems and entire sectors and became heredity barons and kings. The Jedi domains were islands of peace and justice, where honorable rulers fought to keep the Sith at bay, attracted other brave Jedi to their banners, and fired sons and daughters who followed their parents in the ways of the Force. Eventually, the office of Supreme Chancellor and rule of Coruscant itself ceded to a line of Jedi Masters. Uh, let's see. The While post Rusan historians and imperial propagandists emphasized the anarchy of these centuries, they also marked the great age of Jedi Knights, and many systems prospered under their rule. When Lord Haas decided to take the offensive against the Sis in 1010 BBY, he gathered Jedi Lords and bands of knights from across the galaxy, a movement that swelled until the last Grand Council of the Order declared the Jedi Baronies united as the Army of Light, commanded by Lord Haas, Bearing the ancient title of Seneschal. Let's see. Let me just make sure here. And yeah, then the big battle happened on Rusan. Um, and then I'll just skip to the very end. Mm-hmm. Once that happened, uh, they're it's like, okay, we're done. The, the, the force bomb and all that, right? Yeah, Lord Toss dies. Yeah. Um, veterans of the Army of Life were ignored by the Reformed Jedi Order, which was embarrassed both by their politics and the tragedy of Rusan. The few surviving Jedi Lord returned to their castle and took care of their men calmly, ignoring the orders of the Jedi on Coruscant, and maintained a wary detachment from the Republic for centuries. Even under the New Republic, the remaining Corellian Jedi and Tipo Paladins retained distinct identities based on their descent from the ancient heroes. So yeah, this was I, I wanted to get to this part in particular, because um, I think you'd be interested in it, because this... Um, to you know, kind of to kind of essentially use a real world parallel, although this is kind of more of the pop culture version of it. It's like the fall of Rome and the Dark Ages, where essentially the church has to become the state. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of the 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 um the vibe I've always gotten from this era. But reading that little passage, Matthew, we'll turn yeah. it to you now. What are your just thoughts on that? I mean, to to go to the real world parallel, right? It what happens? Yeah, the Western Empire falls. And I mean, and <coughs> it's really is just, it's not so much the dark ages. It's just, they're all disparate and there isn't much of a central authority. The Pope, the Bishop of Rome starts to gain more authority, more central, uh, sense of cent- central authority already had a sense of leadership over the rest of the Western church. Uh, but it isn't until, say, St. Gregory the Great. Pope Gregory the Great, who, you know, at the, the year 600, this is this is a few centuries later, mm-hmm. and, I mean, he's literally literally cleaning up Rome's streets and building infrastructure in the city, because <laughs> uh, there isn't anyone else to do it, and that's that's part of the, the problem. There isn't any civil leader to do it, and so 
he's it. And so he's there, he's doing his thing, massive education programs, uh, you know, you know, the changing the way services are, you know, reforming the way services are done. Um, a lot of big musical reform. You hear the, the phrase, I guess, not of a Gregorian chant, but a lot, a lot, a, lot of, a bit of a mutual musical cultural renaissance. And then that there starts what we know as the Middle Ages. And, and that's, you know, the funny thing is we, we, tend to um tend to have see this big break and uh, there, there are people who are better much more experts at this than i am then i see this big break between the dark ages and the middle ages it really wasn't in the same way i mean there what we can see here is i mean i think what what's interesting is you know the continuity especially the continuity between um all the different jedi baronies and the army of light with Lord Hoth, and that leads then into the Rusan. I mean, yes, Rusan. I'll read Rusan. Don't worry, I got. We we'll get to Rusan, but uh, my my thing is it, yes. In part, it's a response to to Bane and the thought bomb and, and everything. We're getting there, but it also seems to be there seems to be some bit of a sense of continuity. Maybe not. Maybe I'm misreading that. Maybe maybe it's to back up and say, yeah, that that the Jedi do fill the void in this way with these space popes. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and, and and I guess it, Jedi well, kings. Yeah, Jedi, you know, the, and well, that's the thing is, is in a way, you know, Gregory, is he Pope, is he Emperor of the West? You know, he, he functions that way. And, and what's fascinating is, is to have a mixed view of history and, and, to say you know how the the empire, uh, you know they call it anarchy. Like these Jedi, they're ruling. That's got to be an evil tyranny and also an anarchy at the same time. Um, whereas the reality is probably meant to be more complicated, more mixed. You know, some Jedi ruled well, some Jedi probably ruled poorly. Some were too much too scholarly, probably, and just too much ahead in the clouds. Some of them actually, oh. you, know, you know, that's my guess about what this year is, is like. And so what's fascinating is how later historians and historians <laughs> uh, come to see that and evaluate that. And I'm curious about the Rusan Reformation and with kind of what we were saying about the rebellion in the higher public, how, uh, you know, how imperial historians look back on, on this period and say to, to, uh, to reinforce their claims. Right, because one of the interesting things that would happen in the in the real world, we're talking about the real world history in the West, is you'd have uh, historians writing these stories to explain it wasn't history in a scientific way of this is what happened and this is how it happened, and you can draw this very technical linear connection. No historian knows that that is. Every historian knows that that's the ideal, that's the hope that they try to do, but no, there's always a moral bias that they're bringing to their account of history in in the, the dark ages and the early middle ages that wasn't a problem it was eusebius is writing this story to say how constantine I mean, this is the parallel right it, with lord hoth maybe and, and then the then the the space popes gregory but also constantine making christianity the state religion and saying uh yeah, this is meant to happen. God wanted this to happen. The Force wills this. I'd be curious to see. I don't know if any of these stories ever go there, 
but uh, clearly, of course, the, the Sith, the, the Galactic Empire says that this was a tyranny and evil and, and anarchic at the same time. So, that, I mean, that's, again, the historiography is what's fascinating there. And that maybe that's kind of this whole question that we're trying to address is what is not simply what was the relationship between Jedi and Republic like, but what should it be? And, and, and that's, you know, with, for Ray, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but, you know, ultimately, you know, for Oregon, for uh, at the end of the High Republic, the publishing initiative, what should it be? So, anyway, that's where my mind goes. I don't know. Hoth almost did have a bit of a fall to the dark side, but snapped out of it before the last minute and then felt bad, and that's why he sacrificed himself during the final battle. Uh, he did not make it to see the end. He did not make it to see peace. Uh, he died in the in the crusade against the Sith. Uh, he almost he almost got a little too overly obsessive with it, and thankfully someone snapped him out of it. And he's like, "Oh shoot, I almost fell the dark side." There, it's like, you know, then it's like, "Oh well, I better sac- I'll sacrifice myself to for, for the for the Jedi in the light." So, um, it's all worked out. Yeah. Okay. I mean, now- just say what you what do you find interesting about that era? Okay, we can. Oh, I mean, I I find just kind of the. And honestly, from a fantasy standpoint, it reminds me of, like, when Morgoth ruled over Middle-earth and, like, the elves were, like, the only enclaves of peace and light. Um, it's, it is, because I do, again, I, it does have that kind of fantasy vibe of, like, you know, it's a Jedi king, so we're good. You know, it's like, you know, they're, they're, no, they're no evil Jedi kings. They're just Jedi kings, and they're wise, and they're Jedi, and they're cool. Um, it's interesting. It's like they fathered sons and daughters. At least they were gender gender balance that's nice uh you know lines of families of jedi um and you know it's like there's these jedi kingdoms that are like we're keeping the peace before like also kind of game of thronesy but also like high elf kings where it's like the high elf jedi gets all the other jedi kings and it's like let's we're gonna build one big host and we're gonna go against the army the darkness and then they did and it sounds very idealized it is. I mean, Star Wars is always going to be a little romantic in some sense. Yeah. Um, but then we get so that that ends the war, and now we get to the Ruson Reformations, which leads us closer to the more canonical Star Wars galaxy that we know of. So I'm just going to read the Ruson Reformation uh, from here, kind of give context. We talk about it a lot. Okay, the Ruson Reformations in a thousand BBY following the defeat of the Sith at Ruson, Tarsus Valorum. Yes, they are related to Valorum. That Valorum. Um, set out to heal a shattered galaxy and rebuild its institutions by making them more democratic and mutually supporting. The Ruthon Reformation were an unprecedented experiment of voluntary dismantling of central authority over economic, political, and military power. <coughs> to make the Senate more governable, Valorum consolidated its millions of sectors into 1,024 regions, with each senator getting essentially one vote. Um... With some exceptions to powerful worlds in the core and the colonies, and extend the rights of representation to galactical functions, constituents, ancient institutions, and considerable economic powers. Probably that's why the Trade Federation got a senator. They not form though not formally bound by the Ruson Reformation, the Jai Order made fundamental changes as well. The Jai gave up a bulk of their forces from the ground vehicles to warships and starfires and became part of the judicial department reinforcing the fact that they answered to the Senate and were ideally counselors and advisors, not warriors. Mm. To decrease their chance of far-flung academies might stumble into dangerous exploration of the Force, Jai training was consolidated in the Temple of Coruscant, and Jai trainees were 
now be taken into the order as infants before they could be exposed by the, to the temptations of the material world. But for a war-weary galaxy, war galaxy, the most extraordinary measures of the Russo Reformation were the ones that abolished the Republic Armed Forces. The standard military was reorganized as the judicial forces and relatively small ensemble of task forces, rapid response fleets, intended to patrol the frontier and respond to crisis. The Senate could authorize the judicial forces to relinquish military units from systems and sectors, and the Supreme Chancellor could appoint governor generals to coordinate military action with the, with the senator of a troubled sector. In the absence of major crisis, the planetary security forces from 14 millennia, little more than an auxiliary of the Republic Navy, would be expected to keep the peace. Determined to recurve the Republic's regional rivalries and restrict sector fleets to defensive operations, Lorm limited the size and armaments, uh, blah, blah, blah. They were less popular in the mid-realm sectors. The commissions, Navy cruisers, frigates, and corvettes were assigned to sector forces. Um, ah, here we go. Here's a good one. Uh, while the while the sectors struggled, while rim sectors struggled to police their worlds, were creaky, unsizable capital ships. Wealthy industrial sectors built giant cruisers. So basically, you know, rich plants. They get get the good stuff, and the rim get the crap. Um, and there were some exemptions made for like the big manufacturers. Just making sure I got everything. But yeah, that's that's the Rusan Reformation, and that pretty much leads us in. Well, more of a direct lead into the prequels, but. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, oh, shoot, oh, nope, okay, but yeah, that's pretty much the Rusan Reformations. Um, anything stand out to you in that particular reading? Yeah, I, I mean, a few things. First of all, it seems <coughs> like authors in the, in the real world trying to date back, say we can't write the story of what happens after the Galactic Empire. We're going to kind of write what might have happened just a thousand years earlier. Um, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, what they also did... Similar to what I think the High Republic is doing, of saying, how do they get from there to here, or what is the before picture? Um, right. And so to say, yeah, that similar to the end of the Galactic Republic that we see in Ahsoka with Mamathma being so reticent, and even uh, Ziono being so reticent to send to send military units out. There is this norm of pulling back. And nor this norm, and that's 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 the word. There's norms, not norms. just habits or you know ideals, but norms. And right. and by norms, meaning uh, kind of the sense, the bounds of what is acceptable, bounds of what we do, and the growth of democratic norms. And that's another implication of since the 19th century, right? Is in the West we have this growth of democratic norms, where now I can get on the internet. And I can expect to say, I can say whatever I want about Justin Trudeau, and I'm not going to have my police come and knock the door. They don't care. Hopefully. They're, they're not going to do anything, right? They can't. Because um, I'm free to just say what I want. It's a democracy. Um, you know, but also the norm of to say, I'm going to conduct my discourse, my political discourse, in a more peaceable way. One of the, I mean, I, again, talk about secularism. That's the interesting thing. And secularism, pluralism, and how Jedi in this in this era seem to be actively embracing the norm of secularism because uh, that this whole maybe the, their understanding of the Army of Light it would maybe maybe some of them said it was necessary for the time or they much. Was, or this maybe some of them thought it was a huge disaster and we got to we got to stop or to say that the the reason for it is over. 
I have that answer in the book. Yeah, okay. Well, give me that the answer, but I'll say that whatever whatever it is, they and you can answer that in a second, but they take upon themselves the sense of we have to step back, not because we're afraid, not because there's a, that's an interesting difference. Not because there's a Markian row and these these uh, force killer dogs running loose, but because uh, we need to actually step back and cooperate. And that this power is corrupting us too much. I don't know. Um, yeah, to say step back and cooperate. So I don't know what what, what how did they understand their giving up their title and disbanding the army of light and and whatnot. Basically, they were afraid if they kept an army that another Sith army would just rise up and we back be back to square one all over again. So it's like we don't want race. that to happen. So yeah. <laughs> so it's like, well, the Sith army are gone. No point of having us have an army. Otherwise, we're just gonna just keep poking the bear. It just feels like so. You know, let's step back. Yeah. That um, is um, like like more of an afraid of an arms race. Kind of, yeah, yeah. Kind of just afraid of like, oh, great, another another Jedi is gonna just form their army and. Dark, mm -hmm. dark Empire army, or, or, or back, back to just but this lightsaber swinging all over the place again. Like, like they're worried about like another schism and then falling into the wrong hands, kind of thing. Yeah, it's just another schism, and then it's like you know, all the Jedi army—they're gonna come together and like, eh, we don't want this, so <laughs> we're gonna the Sisters are gone. For mm -hmm. we think, you know, we yeah. think we didn't really know Darth Bane was a thing. Um, what, I, but, what I found interesting there is then the, the Jedi are under the direct control of the Senate and are part of the judicial forces. Um, which again, it, like, is a little concerning to me. Is like, why? Why did they do that? Uh, but I mean, is there also a sense of republic norms? Is it specifically Jedi for when they're undertaking any kind of military or protective activity, but they're free to do research and contemplate the Force and whatnot? I mean, I, I can see why. It's like a bunch of powerful people who can blow you up with your mind. Do you really want them to run around so doing whatever they want? Court. I see. Okay. Kind of. Although yeah. I think it's more of a willing thing. Like, uh, we, yeah, we, 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 we should probably just be under some supervision. Well, there's the parallel, right? I mean, the Sokovia Accords, you know, Tony and, and, and them are all, yeah, we need to actually come under some sort of UN regulatory body. Yeah, maybe. I mean, that's the thing. And they, you know, they're. I guess maybe maybe the the parallel now is to say. Uh, I mean, spiritual abuse. That you know. And ever, Do you so, want a, a bunch of people who can blow up your mind with the thought to be just running around willy nilly? I don't want someone who can say the Bible says this, and it's turns out terribly destructive to be running around. Now that gets internally policed within churches, ideally. But you know, we we've had all these civil cases where, you know, criminal cases, um, bankruptcies and lawsuits and, and whatnot. I mean, from the residential schools, the abuse crisis, all that. I mean, I guess here's a question though. How much of it is us just projecting the Jaya the religion like the Christianity and how much of it is yeah. George himself even being like well, they're monks, but they're also kind of not monks. Like, yeah, that's true. How how far? Maybe how far does the parallel go, and where does it end? <laughs> what you're asking, which is also possible. Yeah, to say, you know, there's no. I mean, what I'm saying is, there's still a metaphor of spiritual authority, and 
that needs to be internally regulated. And one of the ways to internally regulate is to externally regulate, right? To have rules to cooperate with civil authorities. Uh, yeah, and it seems to me at the time of after this great war that the Jedi have really come to a place of saying we need to do this and we want to do this. So now I want to put just a little caveat note for the audience out here. Although, and I'm not saying what we just discussed for the last couple of minutes has like been pointless, but the Darth Bane books and what we've talked about very much are trying to square the circle of a lot of the 90s and early 2000s portrayal of the Jedi Order in the Old Republic stuff and trying to get them more closer to what they were like in the prequels when that stuff was wrapped up. So for all we know, canon might be somewhat different. Oh, they did mention Jedi militaries in the past, so we can only speculate, but uh, that's why we, we decide to go with this route for like the early past, just kind of get a, a sense of like, maybe this is the direction they'll go, maybe they'll change something up, we don't know, but that rhymed. But, um... We'll just, I just wanted to like put a little pin on that for yeah. the audience. I mean, one of the things, another thing you're talking about with the Rosan Reformations, that the canon version of that, this gets at what I was saying about 200 years being about right, a thousand years, that's too long, <laughs> you know, uh, for there to be any sort of direct, like it just thinking now doesn't seem to make as much sense, maybe because we have High Republic and maybe we have just. I don't know. Maybe we have a better sense of history. It seems a bit of a leap to say that these changes that were instituted a thousand years ago are a direct beeline to a thousand years later. Whereas I think you can make a bit more of a case with the 200 years between uh, the fall of Starlight Beacon and the fall of the Jedi Order. Oh, yeah. I mean, to be fair, that High Republic era was never touched. And, you know, maybe in, in their heads, it's like, the Jedi did this, and for a thousand years, the Jedi were centralized on Coruscant, and it worked out until it didn't. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the higher public kind of Jedi are kind of different. They are different. So, I, um, I guess what I want to say is, I mean, to say is whatever the canon version of after Rusan, after Malachor, you know, after Malachor's different. Rusan, Rusan, yeah. I know, after. but there, there seems to be what we know is there seems to be some big terrible moral disaster for the jedi and the republic that you know also is involved in bane going to hiding uh also is involved in some establishment like we were talking about a few weeks ago of the galactic republic as opposed to the old republic um that then in you know 750 years later we have you know we, we have the Battle of Jedi and the Battle of Dogma and all that stuff. And what well, we have, uh, you know, the you know the phase phase two. I mean, the more historically significant is phase one and three. So eight hundred years later, we have Lena Solo and her great works. Which we'll get to oh yeah, you, you know, I'm going to be honest. I have like the most cynical, <laughs> uh, cynical take of this um, because they talk about how the Republic fell and whatnot mm. uh, in this particular era, and if this era ever gets. Like, maybe if it's portrayed in book, maybe it won't be like that. Maybe it'll be more creative. But I just got a feeling in my gut that if this era is ever, ever portrayed on screen, this is how it's going to be set up. The Sith Empire rules, but our underdog rebels of the Jedi and their pals are going to stop them because that's what rebels do. Like, I don't know. I don't think they'll go with Jedi Lord as much as I think that'd be cool. And I Jedi King. That's too, that's too repetitive. I know, but I don't <laughs> trust it. Um, but, um, I mean, I would like to see the Jedi Lord. If writing that, then yeah. 
Maybe. I, I don't know. Who knows, man? At this point, who knows what they'll do? I mean, I, I'm very curious to see what the take on this on this era will be outside of the... I mean, because, like, again, we, we the basics are still the same of, you know, the Sith Empire kind of took over. The Jedi, I don't think they got purged down to one. At least I hope not. But, you know, like, they got their butts kicked and kind of became something rebellious, clearly. They clearly were the underdogs in this fight. Um... And then obviously the Sith killed themselves and the Jai took advantage of that and then Darth Bane fled. So there's the the outline. It's just I'm curious what the details will be. What the actual, like, will there be Jedi lords and kings and queens and knights and barons or are we going to do something else? I'll and how it. it connects with. Yeah. Everything. And now they have something to connect with. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's true. I mean, and for, for we did a whole episode on, on what we know of the old Republican canon. Right. Uh, was it was last week or two weeks ago. So, give us but, a answer. Yeah. But yeah, but yeah. So that that's all the legendsy old Republic past stuff of Jedi, um, and Re- Republic's um view. And I just I'll just say before we move on to this because this is sort of the next big epoch. You know, it's very much um an alliance born in blood and war for sure. Um, where you know they're just fighting the Sith and the and the Mandos and ancient people even before then over and over again. It's very much an alliance of blood and brotherhood, maybe and even betrayal and then coming back and whatnot. So um, yeah, I'll be curious if that's basically the way it is in canon when we actually get to that stuff, if we ever get to that stuff. But um, the two groups just kind of come together and it's interesting, again, the Jedi decide to join with the Republic as its defenders under... Well, George himself has always talked about how, yeah, you know, the, the galaxy's under the wise rule of the Senate and the Jedi are its defenders. That's... The, they are the defenders of the, the Senate. The wise rule of the Senate. But where do they get their wisdom from? I guess in the question. I don't know. I mean, I think in George's case, he just thinks it's the Senate. It's So it's good. Something... Yeah. I think the thing about George is that I think he is... He is kind of into pop history and that kind of fantasy history of, like, you know, the Senate, the Senate's good, you know, because it's wide. you got all the good people in it. An august assembly. Of yeah. I mean, so, maybe there's a way of saying that they care about the Force. They're not Force, they're not Jedi, but they care about the wisdom of the Force. And the... I mean, I guess the question is, are we being too much putting up these real-world parallels when, again, it's like, oh. are even the writers going to be doing this, too? Like, some will, some won't. I don't even think George was, per se. I think he was very much more, like, you know, the Jedi were the wise rule of the Senate and then, you know, the Guardians. Um, Guardians of peace is justice in the Republic, yeah. So, you know, yeah. it, so, you know, it's it sort of it's just something I just always think about when it's like we're making these real-world parallels where it's like, should we really be projecting too much? Are we projecting too... When are, when are we going too far? And when right, too, I mean, that's, that's the same question with Star Trek, right? We project to the, into the future... Well, there's a, kind of the utopia in the future. This is a utopia in the past, a fantasy utopia, in a way. Uh, like the, the the idea of an august assembly in the Senate. You know, right? Uh, yeah, it's fantasy. That's that's true. It's it's fantasy genre. They can do that. They can have an idea of a benevolent rule. You know. Um, speaking of benevolent rule, uh, are, are we good to move on? Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah, to the to the High Republic now, which is the more canonical stuff. So yeah. this is really in terms of Star Wars today, our our best insight of you know the canonical high era of the Jedi and the Republic 
and you know why 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 do people fight for these two groups to always be together? Why is it that when push comes to shove, the Jai always pick the Republic? Now they're not they're not picking the Empire, that's for sure. Um, so you know they're not going by themselves. Um, so you know that is this is sort of the glory area. Glory area. Yeah. So I'll dive into this. So I mean, again, maybe I, I say Augustus. Something. Where do they get their wisdom from? The High Republic. You know, Lena. So she. She's she's elevated. She is an ideal ruler in her way. I mean, she has these weird, scary cat, giant cat things. Um, you know, who knows what she stands to gain from these great works? I mean, she stands to gain a lot consolidating her power, consolidating it through diversity and through uh, you know, through welcome and hospitality. But they say they all come under her wing, under her authority to then dictate how she wants things to play out. Is that benevolent or not? I don't know. Um, ultimately, kind of is. I mean, that's the thing. The idea of Starlight Beacon is that the Jedi and the Republic are cooperating in this great work. And, it, and the Starlight Beacon is the great of the great works. Mm -hmm. um, the, the greatest of the great works. And so, because, you know, it is Jedi and Republic cooperating to expand light and life, this mission of light and life, out into the Outer Rim, where... At this point in time, there hasn't been much consolidation, much connection with the rest of the galaxy. 150 years before, they had to send out these Pathfinder teams and have these communications buoys and find these hyperspace buoys uh, to be able to actually travel. At this point, with Starlight, it, it represents the communications hub. And as we all know, I mean, communication with the internet, for example, the internet is... Has has completely changed the way we communicate. I'm on YouTube right now, talking to you, California. We're talking about a space fantasy. Um, you know, the the way we connect and the way we we exchange ideas and the way we have a sense of a common people. <coughs> you know, there's a Jedi Marshal and a Republic envoy, and they're both they're ambassadors. Part of they're the Republic ambassador, and they're and then. All the, I mean, the idea of Starlight is all the different cultures of the Outer Rim, and they come together, and they have their, uh, they have their, uh, their, their pods and their their locations, and the, can people can move to and fro and share, and so this guy sees that, and he sees that as the biggest threat possibly to an independent Outer Rim, the biggest threat to the Nile's ability to go in and take what they want, and do what they want. And so he hits them where it hurts the most. Marking hits them where it hurts the most. It is the greatest disaster because the fall of Starlight, because uh, he knows just how important the relationship between the Jedi and the Republic is. If he can take down Starlight Beacon, then he can say that the this great relationship between Jedi and Republic, this great relationship between inner rim, core and outer rim, that is doomed to fail. And in a way, he, he I mean, that's the thing, is what if he ultimately succeeds, right? What if the, the idea of the occlusion zone and driving the Jedi, the norm of saying we're just going to stay back into Coruscant, um, you know, that, that that definitely secures, you know, and here's another another, uh, another thing we want I want to start thinking about. I think we were going back and forth in this, maybe in the Discord, um, the birth of, of Outer Room Separatism. And the you know, birth of 
you know, yes, the, with the Trade Federation, yes, with the Banking Clan, but also, you know, with Monteris and with uh, all these other, you know, even people on Sereno and, and other these other planets resenting the Republic overreach, they also resent the Jedi overreach. And so, there, you know, there is the, this, this, uh, this starting point here where Markian is able to hit them where it hurts. Um, you, know, you have in your notes here that you know, the Jedi, for the most part, yeah, they are in, in harmony with each other primarily. Um, you know, there there is a big, especially in phase one. I think in phase three, there's also going to be this big tension between Jedi who are passive and want to retreat into Starlight Beacon or want to retreat into just the, this in phase one at least into you know the norms of. Uh, deciding these things in council, where you have Joramali saying, no, I'm just going to go and fight in this battle. Uh, you have Avar saying, I'm going to go take on the Drinker, and that has negative consequences for her. You have Vern, who's now a Wayfinder. Um, and you have Kiev, who wants to go out and, and in to, you know, to the other to room, to these lost planets where, where that are cut off and start to aid them and they're just the small little places they are um yeah there there is this again going with your notes here uh you know these massive cracks in the foundation of trust but you know and I'll are they massive them. cracks though i i think maybe no, sorry, they don't seem to be sorry okay. but they're, yeah they're, they're hairline fractures the hairline fractures within the jedi themselves and that's the interesting thing that I'm one of the interesting things that I'm curious. Um, before I get into the Guardian Protocols specifically, uh, what, what, what are your thoughts on you know, the Jedi and the Republic during the High Republic era? Well, I think this is very much what George himself was always saying when we were talking about the Jedi and the Republic. I have just a few more quotes here that's like, you know, it says, The Jedi have the same relationship to the Republic. They're like public servants, they're the, like marshals or policemen. He always brings up policemen. They basically Marshall. do what they are told to do, they're not independent agents who can do whatever they want. George seems very keen on saying, making sure that Jedi are not independent agents. He seems to be very pro that. Um, Which isn't really how they, I mean, they, they don't really function that. They do function more independently. I mean, the in they, Phantom yeah, Menace, they're on the on the orders of the Chancellor to, to go By the time of the prequel. I mean, during the High Republic, though. You know, again, I keep bringing this up. The development of norms where they would be under, under the thumb, under the orders. Anyway, True, but I think George sees that as a good thing. I think he's all pro. Yeah, there's public servants under the Republic. That's how he always saw it worked. Um, you know, the Senate does what it does. Um, yeah. What am I going to say? So, you know, is the higher public following George's vision? I don't know. Uh, that's a hell of a discussion. Um, but, um, yeah, you know, this is, this is, this should, this is still the glory days, you know, if, if things were, I feel like if things were as bad, and the Sith would have been taking advantage of it for a while. Um, you know, you know that, that's was another big debate of, like, the whole prequel, should they? Because, like, well, where are the Sith? Well, they aren't around because things are still pretty good. They're not yeah. taking advantage of this Nile stuff because even if they could, they can't because it's still, the Republic is still a strong institution. It's just going through a bit of an issue right now with, like, nowhere, like, Sidious probably couldn't have taken advantage of this opportunity even if he tried. Because that's how strong the Republic and the public and the Jedi's court of whole spiel 
is like cooperation, and it, it, it's like a cooperation of equals almost. Yeah. Sorry. Um, in terms of like you know, I I also think this is also kind of like what are the authorials' intent? What are their ideologies and whatnot? It's like you know, are they really questioning the system, or is it like, no, Lena So's a good person, so Lena So should be trusted. You know that it's like you know it's like well you know it's, it's sort of the uh, it's sort of the more I guess kind of for lack of an ideological concern liberal mindset of like you know it's not the institution that's the problem it's just put the smart people in the institution and you're good um so because it, it works the system works um so there's there's that as well I you know there's gonna be debate for sure like no one's ever gonna be like you should you know like we're all in agreement one big happy family but I think. <laughs> but I do think that even in that debate, I do think the High Republic era is the Republic still strong. It's still got three centuries on it, and it's like I don't. I think in history, real world history is not that fatalistic. World War One was avoidable. World War Two was avoidable. The French, uh, you know, everything in history is avoidable to a certain extent. Different decisions could have been made. Um, the difference is obviously that we have these decisions already made, so. We can't really change them at this point. Um, uh, we have some certain things locked in, um, but that's the that's the point of telling a narrative. And again, I guess it's also just I know we're kind of making this a bit of a different discussion, but it's like, you know, how much of this can, do we have to? How much of this are we seeing this as history, and how much of this is just fictional narrative and the balance and whatnot between that? Um, but I do think, in a lot of ways, the higher public is trying to tell us, yes, this is the ideal. Jedi Republic story. This is if you if you want to not see this as tragedy, then yeah. I mean, obviously we'll find out in phase three if I'm wrong or right. But in terms of this initiative, I think the the point is yes. This is when the higher Republic, when the Republic and the Jedi were the best of pals. Sometimes pals have tension, but you know what? At the end of the day, they're gonna kick the Niles' butt. They did it. This is this is what that's is what it's supposed to be. This is what Mon Mothma and Luke are all kind of ideally fighting for. Yada yada. So, yeah, that's always kind of how I've always seen the High Republic in some way. It's called the High Republic for a reason, right? It, it's right. it's goal. It is. They literally have the golden robes. It is a place, yeah, where, you know, the, this, again, this fantasy, well, this fantasy that political leaders can be trusted and that religious leaders can be trusted to cooperate with political leaders and that they're all out there for the common good as best they can. An interesting thing to think about is character point of view, right? That these, especially the Padawans and young Jedi, just like, you know, Luke saying for, for Luke, yeah, the rebellion is the source of good and light in the galaxy for these Padawans and young, young Knights, the Jedi are the source of light and life and the Republic allies, right? But also, you know, the, the shipping crew with Afi and, and the vessel, right? It, there, there's always these, I mean, narratives need protagonists in, in, as to, to drive the story. And and they need to have, you know, we need to trust that they're out for the, the greater good, the common good. And, and more or less, I mean, not every story. Some stories, there's, you know, the anti-hero, but higher public by and large, except for, except for Lorna D's story, I think. Uh, I mean, I'd say tonally, High Republic is very much in line with what I call traditional Star Wars, right? You know, I mean, maybe, you know, I mean, what I mean by traditional Star Wars is like, 
you know, we like to, you know, you and I, man, we like to look at things historically, like there's nuance and stuff like that and all that good stuff. But remember, this is the world where Palpatine exists. Yeah. 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 Uh, there's no nuance to Palpatine. He's just evil. And he should stay that way, by the way. I mean, what, what I'm thinking about still then is, you know, we like to make this distinction between Star Trek and Star Wars. We like to make this distinction between Roddenberry's sense of the goodness of institutions and George Lucas' sense of cynicism about institutions. He, I guess he wasn't as cynical as we think he is. He's just on guard and on watch. And again, it's, it's instead of projecting from our time future, it's projecting from, say, a time we, we've first been given in this fantasy world of 1977 of this empire, dystopian empire, mm -hmm. just going backwards and saying, okay, there was this, uh, not a utopia. It, it's We do know more, it's more complicated than that. Oh, yeah. But uh, yeah, like you said, this, like Camelot, right? And by Camelot, I specifically mean the Kennedy Camelot. This is the, the parallel that Charles Soule brought up of, yeah, that the American government could actually come, you know, with with some issues with that too. But uh, there are issues. I mean, that's that's you can say that. But <laughs> I think the ideal, the idea, not the ideal, the idea is in the ideology is that American government can uh, promote the common good, and we can sit here and, and debate that and be skeptical of that. Oh, but at least they're telling a story of what if an aspect of that were true and what if here's the thing is where do, where does this these, these space wizards come in right um right. you know to say and this religious institution mm -hmm. that actually taps into some something in in the universe that is cosmically built in uh, what does it look like for them to cooperate and that's, I mean, that's one of the reasons why it's my favorite thing in Star Wars, because it's so fascinating, because we never we never got that question answered. You know, we did maybe in Legends, like you were saying before, but I mean, in, in a different way, right? To contrast it with the 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 Army of Light, this isn't an Army of Light filling in a, in a gap here. It's Jedi seeming to be the conscience of society, but also cooperating with... In, in, a, in a confident dignity alongside. And so, here's the thing, and it is all, the last thing I want to say before, again, we've gotten through Guardian programs. The thing I want to say is uh, one of the driving forces about the higher republics is the question, what do the Jedi fear? And I've always <laughs> wanted to go into that. I never thought it's the boring Palpatine answer, just losing their own power, their ability to tell people what they want to do. It's losing their their place of benign influence, losing their ability to. I mean, what we know with the Shriekerai, the nameless, it's that the thing that they hold most dear, the connection to the Force, is actually the thing that could kill them. But also, it's to say that their connection to the Force won't be sufficient to sustain the galaxy. That's their deeper fear that they can't cooperate with the Republic anymore, and and. You know, Markian is definitely hitting them where that hurts the most. And that's that's the, the drama. The thing about Star Wars and history, and um, I listened to a podcast about this. I don't remember their names. I wish I did. And they brought up a good point. They brought up a point from a book like Star Wars and history that Lucas, and I think most Star Wars, is 
leans more or less into real history and more what I what they called pop history, which is sort of the like uh, they're like World War II, the overly poppy version, you know, the good guy allies of U.S. USSR and U.K. You know, Winston and FDR yeah. and Stalin versus that no good Hitler and you know, just kicking them Nazi butt. You know, yeah, let's get them when World War II is a much like more America, right? Yeah, you know, it's it's much more of a complicated geopolitical. I mean, somebody still, still, uh, you know, I'm not gonna do both sides of no. Nazis, but uh, you know, much more complex, you know. Yeah, it's that more Captain America thing. You know, it's like, you know, there wasn't racism during World War II. You know, Captain Buddies didn't matter. We're just fighting Hydra. Um, <laughs> and Star Wars leans into that, especially like with the Camelot thing, with like, you know, the pop Camelot, you know, we're going to go to the moon. It's going to be great. Instead of like, oh, no, actually, this area was actually way more cynical and there was a lot more problems yeah. going on. And, you know, Kennedy, you know, like did some stuff and, you know, everyone kind of sucked. Um, so there, I think that's sort of, always cautious yeah. of of being of being you know when it comes to again history which i always i always put in which i always like making that caveat when coming to real because again and i think you know different big biggest difference between although star trek also is leans into pop history quite a bit especially that classic cold war america we got the get you know clean on the com uh, the commies um but uh what was I gonna say? But I mean, you know, the biggest difference obviously between Star Wars and Star Trek, um one's sci-fi, one's fantasy. You know, Leia the Princess, you know, fighting an empire. You know, George didn't do that because he thought with monarchists, he's like, you know, that's just what fantasy is. It's knights and swords and princesses, but instead was instead of laser right? and and wizards instead yeah. of it's it's with laser swords and sometimes they're blasters. Um, so, you know, it's, it's just traditional Tolkien fantasy, you know, I compared the Jedi to the elves in that Dark Ages time. Um, Whereas in contrast with Gene Roddenberry, very much the 60s, you know, the, the extreme of all religion is bad. <coughs> and, and it's one of those vestige institutions of the past that you need to get rid of in order to move forward as, as, as a species. And yeah, and that's interesting to see, yeah, that we have, I mean, Star Trek now is a bit able to be more complicated than that, and that they've, they've able to be more more open to different things. But yeah, I mean, to see how for, for George that wasn't a feature, whereas for Gene it was. <laughs> and, you know, and again, they led, led to interesting stories, led to a good critique of uh, religious assumptions. And, and, what, and, and the prequels also did this. To some extent, but to a much lesser extent. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, it's like, I mean, George never, I mean, George obviously was inspired by Vietnam and influenced by that and stuff like that. But as, and you know, I, the Nixon thing with Palpatine, we always like to say, but as, as much as that exists, and I do think that is real, don't get me wrong, um, Palpatine is just the archetypical evil wizard as well. He is, he's both, he's both the Nixon allegory that George had in the back of his mind. But he's also just the stereotypical evil wizard in Bout Invaders, his Black Knight, you know. He's also the bush, uh, you know, the people, you know, the pastors praying around him, God's chosen leader, the dark side has anointed him king, kind of thing. There's, there is that too. So it just, yeah, it, it takes, it's a, it's a bit more, it's more nuanced than ordinary. Because maybe it's more, it's later and more localized. So anyway, I do want to talk about 
bit about oh, yeah. the garden protocols a little more. The garden and then, protocols. Just because that is another moment, and this does get us to the Clone Wars, and I'll, I'll explain why. Um, the reason I want to bring this up, it is recent, and so it is something fresh <laughs> off the press uh, in the canon. Uh, and so I'll, go, I'll dive into them very quickly. Uh, what they are, so Starlight Begin Falls and uh, you know, clearly there is this great disaster. Mark Guinness hit them where they hurt the most. They are emergency measures for the Jedi Order that are, they take for themselves. The Republic doesn't require it of them. They does not say you have to do this. It's Jedi, we're going to do this. We'll tell the Senate this is what we're doing. Uh, it's introduced in Shadows of Starlight Number 1. It's reflected to some extent in the uh, Insider short story, Tales from the Occlusion Zone, No Big Deal. Basically, what it is is they're going to tighten up. They have a tighter organization, more military-like discipline. There's going to restrict independent research uh, into the force, into different ideas, and even in scientific research. Everything, their time and resources and effort are going to be focused on the war, on this this emergency situation. Yeah, again, it's emergency measures. It also means that they're going to have greater availability for the Republic in actions against the Nile. And mm -hmm. really, for example, Joss and Pekka would, you know, are, are hoping to get the Republic or to get the Jedi help. In that case, they can't. But um, the, the, the idea is that they can cooperate more fully in the Republic's war against the, uh, against the Nile. There's an accelerator. This is the wild thing. There's an acceleration of youngling and Padawan combat training. Padawans can take the, the night trials whenever they feel they want, and whenever, whenever their masters say, "Yeah, go for it," there's uh, take them early, like just earlier when they're usually. This is the wild one. Younglings can use real sabers uh, if the teachers think they'll be able to handle it. Um, they, they they graduate to say, "You never know when the Nile are going to attack." Course, you never know. Um, to give give these kids the best shot they can. Uh, the, even just practically about lightsabers, there's a moment in Shadows of Starlight turning out more sturdier, simpler, less artistic sabers like we see in the prequels. The, the type of thing we see in the prequels, just the same, the thin, the plain metal tube. Yeah, Jedi can have their own flourish to them, but it's nothing compared to the elaborate gold cross sabers, cross guard sabers we see in phase one. Another interesting one, because everything's centralized on Coruscant, outposts are primarily staffed by droids. So they haven't given up on the outposts. It's just that they're droids there. Sounds familiar? Droids in the outer room uh, who will relay directly to the Coruscant Temple. Uh, there's the quote, the council will evaluate mission assignments on a case-by-case -case basis. So a knight, usually knights and masters could go off and do what they, they want, and I guess they sort of can, but not to the same extent. They have to. It's all very centralized there. Uh, they say, we'll not seek out violence, but there may be opportunities for targeted strikes and preemptive strikes. And so, again, cooperating and being more being more active, uh, but it's still, again, it's the norm, the, the habit of being more centralized and, and defending the home, if you will, uh, possibly through preemptive strikes. All Jedi have to travel at least in pairs. You can't be on your own and get captured um, Either has to be in pairs. I think there's some story implications about that coming down the down the pipe. So yeah, so those are the guardian protocols, and again, it's this new 
oomph in, in the Jedi cooperation with the Republic. In this emergency, and the reason I'm bringing it up is because it's one of the things I think definitely does continue. I mean, that is the habit. Uh, that is the norm. Uh, this Star Wars Explained has a great video suggesting that a lot of these things, <clears throat> you know, his video on the uh, on the Guardian Protocols, a lot of these things are either just stay in place, become part of what the Jedi are about, or for the next 200 years, or they get reactivated during the Clone Wars. You I know, think it's better to get, get reactivated during the Clone Wars. I feel like if they stay in place for 200 years, the Jedi would have fallen sooner. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, it's possible. I mean, what, uh, and we, we can definitely talk about that. But especially, you know, military discipline. You know, we see them joining, yeah, joining the war, becoming the generals. That's very much like a Guardian's Protocol type of thing. Another thing Alex suggests is it gives Palpatine a, a course of action he can predict. That this is how the Jedi are going to react when the Separatist threat comes in full force. And boom, Guardian Protocols. Then I'll definitely be able to use this to my advantage. So so that's, that's uh, I mean, we, we, we have here enumerated is what it means for you know, similar again to what you're saying about the, uh, the the Jedi being, you know, part of you know under the the judiciary forces after the Rosunda reformations. Here, it's not to the same extent, but they're intentionally mobilizing as a military-like unit with military discipline to for the express purpose of aiding the Republic. And uh, and yeah, and that again, that's what Palpatine can take advantage of. Does it mean that they continue to hold on to their soul as guardians of peace and justice? Because we know war is the opposite of peace, and it's often the opposite of justice. And that's the the deeper question with these with this ramp up to militarization for the Jedi. Two hundred years before the Clone Wars. That's or you know that, that's the fact, or two hundred ten years, whatever years before the Clone Wars. That's yeah, it's this fascinating turn in the higher Republic moment uh, uh, of the Jedi and the Republic. So what, what, do you, uh, what do you think about the Guardian Protocols in the moment and in the relationship between the Jedi and the Republic? What do you think in terms of that theory about the Clone Wars and you think it got reactivated? It makes more sense, but what do you think? Well, wait, Mike Chit, well, the way of uh, Mike Chit, I actually feel like it did get reactivated because um, the that pretty much happens, uh, spoiler alert, but that's pretty much what happens in the Inquisitor Rise of the Red Blade, where it's like, yep, Battle Wands are getting all promoted. Gotta go. That's how yeah. uh, Iscat's so young, yet she gets promoted to a knight pretty quickly without even taking her trials. Uh, she doesn't even have to take her trials, she gets promoted. Um, I mean, similar to what we see in Ahsoka, right? In, the, in, that, in that episode five. I don't think she ever gets knighted, though. No, but it, it's like how she's thrown into war and all her training is about war. Not about being a guardian of peace. Though here's how I see it, and this is the only way I think it can work for 200 more years of pretty much good times. Yeah. Or at least better times. A, I think some of this has to get reversed, though. I don't think you can be in an emergency and exhaust your society for that long before you collapse. That was Palpatine's whole thing, is just drag out the Clone Wars as long as possible before everyone gets exhausted, and then it's like, okay, be Emperor. Just, just make it stop. Um... So I clearly think something has to stop before everyone just gets exhausted. Sure. Maybe certain things stick, and I'm sure there'll probably consequences. But to also play with the High Republic, kind of that maybe more liberal idea of 
well, you got more decent people in power, so they'll know when to stop and not abuse this. And then when Palpatine comes along, he's going to totally abuse this because that's what he does. Um, so there's that question. Although, again, again, I don't know. I'm just making a prediction here. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm ready to be open-minded with anything, but, you know, phase three hasn't started yet, so we well, have it to just see. Did, but... It just started, so, you know, we still have to see. Um, yeah. Someone I, brought I, up... I comes up tomorrow. Someone brought up, like, maybe certain people do get knighted too early, and that's going to have some long-term ramifications in the future. I mean, um, I've always wondered why Keeve and Vern are knights so young. I still don't know why Keeve's a master at this age. She's starting to grow into it, but I wonder if that's part of this, too. Um, so there's that. I mean, I'm sure there's going to be some consequence, but again... I don't feel. I feel like if they had kept this going for two hundred years, I think something would have broken a lot sooner. Yeah. So you know, that it's like. Sense. I mean, I don't think it's all or nothing. Right. I mean, I'm sure you know, like, cause that's why I think, I think something is going. They're going to. I do think that they'll be defeated, and obviously this won't last that long. Because again, the Clone Wars is supposed to have a real big scar on the galaxy. So in terms of just scale and just destruction, mm-hmm. um. While, you know, this Nile thing, problem, but I do still wonder in terms of, like, the scope of Star Wars history, is the Nile still uh, just a little problem compared to what's about to come in 200 years with the Clone Wars, which is a big problem where the Coruscant itself gets attacked and invaded. Um, Again, what I said a few weeks ago, it's the biggest war in galactic history. Exactly. So, you know, it's like... I do think maybe because of that as well, that's why some of the Guardian protocols probably get reversed. Um, for sure. So, you know, that's sort of my kind of thoughts on it. Like, yeah. you know, yeah, they're probably using it now. And, you know, the Nile will probably be defeated because there's no Nile up by the time we get the prequels. Well, what um, do you think of, of the, in the, in the time period itself? What do you think of, of the Guardian protocols? You know, the Jedi are supposed to be the guardians of peace. They are, um, you know, we, we just talked all about the Camelot, sort of high fantasy, benevolent, golden era. That the Guardian Protocols, this is part of the golden age. What do you think of that? I mean, you got to do what you got to do. And, you know, sometimes even every organization's got something. Star Trek and have Section 31. And True. Jedi got to have this. And at least this is open. I don't know about Section 31. Second Wait, what, what's, what is Section 31? I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> they got me. They got me. <laughs> um, um, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, you know, every organization's got something. You know, maybe... You know, the Jedi aren't going to just be completely like, yeah, you know, there's not going to be any problems. Like, you know, it's like I'm sure in the back of their mind, they're always like, oh, shoot, a Sith army's going to come one. You know, what if the Sith army comes? we got to get ready. Uh, we're going to have something, you know, just don't let that fear consume them. Yeah. Um, so, you know, this is the biggest crisis the Republic probably faced in a while compared to, yeah. it's not Sith Empire size, but it's still a problem. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I guess it makes sense to do something like this, maybe. Just kind of just get ready. Do we yeah. think it's still, again, the, the conversation I keep bringing up, it's training the Jedi to become soldiers and not keepers of the peace? Hmm. Yes and no, but the problem I have with that is, unless we get some more stories in between, which I mean, we will with an acolyte, um, 
the Jedi don't really need to be soldiers again for another 200 years, so it's like this is the one-and-done thing. And unless there's another crisis in the next 200 years that requires Jedi to become soldiers, I'm kind of not seeing a major issue right now. So, your point. Like, yeah. right? Like, like, there's, like we don't. I mean, we don't know. Maybe they'll make a crisis. Like, you know, that's what storytelling is for. But you know, like we, like we see in the Phantom Menace, the Jedi, Jedi clearly are. You know, I mean, I, George always felt with Phantom Menace that's when the Jedi were at their best. Like that is this is ideal Jedi order. Um. You know, they're just negotiating with the Trade Federation. Then when the Trade Federation attacks, they'll defend. You know, then they'll help out the Queen do her thing. Um, but in terms of the Jedi Order themselves, like, you know, yeah, they're 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 still their ambassadors. It's not like we're seeing Jedi armies with... Not like thinking, you know, the Jedi don't go in the boo and get an army and attack the Trade Federation. That comes later with, when they try to with the Separatist problem. But that's... Right. So... I don't know. I don't really know what the long, long-term effects are going to be because it's like well, we don't know of any major crisis is after the Nile fall. So I just think it's very fast the way and you have your notes here. The Jedi go from becoming diplomats to generals. Um, you know, I, maybe 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 we can read a, a good thing into that, benevolent thing into that. I wonder if John Jackson Miller is going to talk about. I mean, maybe that's an implication of Qui Gon going to the council and saying, hey, there's a whole galaxy out there that needs us. Why are we contemplating how many angels of Diego can dance on the head of a, a space pin? But, I mean, yeah. maybe the consequences, they do it, and then they win, and then they kind of freak out, and then they really retrench themselves. Like, oh, shoot, we, almost, we became warriors for a second. Yeah. We don't want that. Well, reverse, reverse, reverse. Maybe that's like, one of the things they fear, is, is losing their soul in that way. Uh, you know, maybe that's maybe that's how you do the reversal, where it's like they yeah. did win, and then it's like, oh shoot, what happened? Like, thank God we didn't get Order sixty six. Reverse, reverse. Yeah, but maybe keep that policy on the Jedi standardization of lightsaber. That's gonna be cheap. Um, maybe we get rid of cost effective. Yeah, <laughs> cost effective. Yoda, money in the bank. We could save. Yeah, <laughs> good for pizzas. We can't. <laughs> um. Uh, uh, but you know that's 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 where I think that's where the reverse should come. But that's just me. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean that fits with everything. You know, I mean to say we're just safer from ourselves being part of the republic. I got I, I got a, I got an idea. I got this just came into my head right now. Mm -hmm. What if this whole high republic thing is almost like in kind of theory? And I don't know if the authors intended it or not. Like. What if the Jedi won the Clone Wars, but didn't get Order 66, and then what would have happened? Right? Because you got a, a, a crisis in the Outer Rim, got the Jedi got to do some stuff that they're not, they're not comfy with, and they're clearly going to win, because obviously they're no Nile, but they didn't get Order 66, because obviously, and here's the big thing, the Republic is, you know, oversimplified, but maybe that's the point. The Republic is ruled by a good person. Chancellor, I mean, unless there's going to be a 180, I'm not aware of. Chancellor Soul is not a is not a Sith Lord trying to undermine them. Right. So that could be another part of it, right? I mean, the the canon thought experiment and the way history repeats itself with little things. Yeah, but Palpatine be. was not a Sith Lord. I mean, it it speaks to you know the the like you're saying with members of the rebellion looking back on this as a golden age. 
you know, because they all know what happened with Order 66 and Palpatine and all that. They understand that history now at that point. So to say, okay, what if, what if? What's, I'll just say this, and I guess we can kind of, we can kind of make this our transition to the Clone Wars, if you don't mind, unless you want to. Well, I thought we're already there. Okay. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Okay. Which is interesting is that. I don't remember. I mean, there's all a lot of the good guys always say this. Yeah. It's never the Jedi fell. It's the Republic betrayed the Jedi. Yeah. So in a lot of ways, this is on the Republic. Um, this is yeah. they, they blame the Republic less than they blame the Jedi for their own fall. They like Palpatine betrayed everybody. I mean, that's that's kind of Ryan Johnson's point. That's kind of the point in the Last Jedi, is that there's still a good for the Jedi in the galaxy. And it's, I mean, it's, it's really, it's corporate interests. It's money fueling the game of war. You know, we, we have, you know, DJ on, on, uh, what planet is that? Kento bite. Mm-hmm. I mean, Kento bite saying good guys, bad guys, it's all the same because there's a cycle of war and it's corporate interests supported at this point by the rebellion or by the Republic and by the empire. And allowed to fester, yeah. Uh, it's you know, yeah, it's true. I mean, and, and so there's always room for the Jedi to come back and be the soul, not just the guards of peace and justice, be the soul of the galaxy, the soul of people in the galaxy. And this, and this kind of, and I'll, I'll start getting to post Endor in a bit, but this kind of goes into you know, you're all thinking about secularism and whatnot, where you know. In the very fantastical Star Wars writings of old, they're always like the Republic was under wise rule of the Senate, but thanks to mega corporations and massive orbits of commerce, the Senate became corrupt, and an ambitious person named Palpatine was voted chancellor. And then he turned on the Jedi. That's so, the like, yeah, that's the, that's the prequel trilogy in a nutshell. So, yeah, you know, I think higher, to kind of wrap up the higher public Clone Wars thing is like. Is this like the crisis of the separatist crisis, but maybe on a smaller scale? And this time with the Jedi, the Republic's not going to stab the Republic and the Jedi in the back yeah. this time. Um, there is no great backstab. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, let's get to post-Endor, shall we? So, this is where things get interesting. Because we kind of have divergent timelines. Variant timelines. Um, <laughs> we have Legends, which is a lot more, which was a lot more detail. For the most part, and canon, which is a lot less detail. So, in terms of the canon, we're in Legends. We're kind of more or less play the same. Luke's kind of still a little unsure what to do. He gets he asks Mom Mothma, "Hey, Mom Mothma, can we get a can we get a Republic can we get Jedi order?" And Mom Mothma says, "Good deal. I want Jedi. I want lots of Jedi. Um, I want Jedi in every home. I want Jedi doctors. I want just the Jedi around." Um. I had a great quote and I lost it. But anyway, um, so yeah, so there's that. You know, Luke forms the Jedi Praxium. Um, and you know, for the most part, it's good. It's good yep. stuff. It's 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 good stuff. It is good Jedi. Yeah, Rip- they're fine. Yeah, you know, they fight Thrawn, they fight the clone Palpatine, they fight um they fight the Yuzong Vong, and everything is pretty hunky dory. Um and then this is where legends start to get really weird. But later on, the dark and cynical, and really dark and cynical too. Um, 
But then there's after that, then Jason Solo falls to dark side. He becomes the Supreme Chancellor through a coup. There's a Jai Civil War, a New Republic Civil War. Because they're like, oh, we don't want that. Um, but, uh, and then after that, the Senate has a great idea of electing uh, Imperial leader Admiral Dalla as the Chancellor. And she's all like, eh, I, don't, I don't really trust the Jedi. And Luke's not feeling, um, not feeling it with... Um, uh, not feeling it with the uh, Jedi, so he kind of him and his faction of Jedi kind of go into self-exile for a while. Um, and then a hundred years later, the Empire takes over again, and then the Resistance and the Jedi and the Imperial remnants who are the good guys mm-hmm. defeat the Sith, and there's like a Jedi Imperial triumvirate, and basically Force Monarchy rules the day. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, right. it's weird. Um. In canon so far, seems like Luke really wants to detach himself from a lot of from almost everybody in a weird way, mm-hmm. um, and kind of just goes on his own. And like, I don't know if even his Praxium even has like pro Republic stamp of approval. Maybe it does, and I, we just don't know. I'm sure it does, uh, but um, Leia would want him more involved. Yeah, I mean, we don't know if Luke's gonna show up and fight for Thrawn, fight against the fight for. He ain't fighting for Thrawn. He's gonna fight against Thrawn. Um, and, you know, then obviously Republic goes kablooey, um, and now Rey's gotta, God, I don't know what Rey's gonna do, because her story's gonna take 15 years after the Rise of Skywalker, so who knows how much time has passed since then, so, yeah, there, there is the, the overly judge, the overly summarized history of the Jedi and the Republic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in terms of just, um, kind of a, kind of a look back, it's complicated, it's weird, it kind of is a little bit of haphazard when you have to include Legend stuff, and then the Republic stuff, and all that, so, and then the canon stuff, so it's kind of like, I don't know if we have, like, a really good sense yet, um, but, you know, it's, it's interesting. <laughs> it's interesting that these warrior monks decide this is the government we're going to protect. Yoda himself has gone on about, like, you know, in Renaissance novelization, mm-hmm. how, you know, it's a moral, their their thing is moral thing. And then George has gone on about, you know, we're not, they're not policymakers. They're, they are ambassadors. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, it's 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 interesting. These two organizations decide, you know, we're gonna we're gonna come together because that's what we're gonna do. Yeah, it seems to me. First of all, just talking about the legends history after Endor, strange kind of how it just wandered without the goal of Order sixty six, and I mean, a lot of this written before that. Uh, well, without, I mean, there was a Jedi purge, but like without without a an end point in, in, in sight that they're free to do whatever they want. It does, it does like these rapid shifts. It's, it's more, almost more realistic. Maybe, I don't know. It's um, just, I don't know. It's just, it's just all over. It's kind of weird and all over the place. I don't mind it. It's just kind of odd. I, I hope with Ray, you know, with Luke and then with Ray, they're able to really think more deeply about who Ray is as a, as a character. First of all, who Finn is as a character? Who shows what, up in the movie? Period. Who shows up, what the state of the galaxy? That's another different thing. 
the canon legends diverge greatly. I mean, the destruction of of uh, of Hosnian Prime, you know, the, the effect of the First Order is just to to wipe everything clean. The Final Order wipe everything clean. Palpatine's you know, a petty, petty man. They, well, that too. But there, there is no Republic anymore, really, for the Jedi to cooperate. It is going to be a lot more localized. Now, maybe there is some sort of localization. But yeah, it, it'll be, you know, it, it'll be interesting. I mean, what, what I what I find inter- maybe curious to see is if Ray does have some more of a sense of, like, the High Republic, but in a different, very different circumstance, a much smaller scale. In that, she's doing her thing. She's you know leading this group of of folks, trying to be the the conscience of whoever they encounter, uh, the contemplative core of whatever society they're a part of. That that ends up developing into a productive co- cooperation. Um, you know, I mean, we, we see. Ray is part of the resistance. We see her training with Leia. Yeah, it's. I mean, it also depends on what the the authors, the, the writers of the the story think. You know, the, the screenwriters or whatnot. What Shirimo Bechinoy and Stephen Knightley all think. Yeah, what, what do they the think? Powers that be between, uh, you know, religious institutions and societies and, and government institutions. Can I read a Mon Mothma quote for you? When you yeah. I love to read this Mon Mothma quote. This is from a Star Wars Legends book from the 90s. Um, and Mon Mothma, I think, is talking to Luke and like her views on the Jedi at the time. Right. Um, and this will and, be kind of instructive for the whole what happens next kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, but also, yeah, but I, I yes, yes, I actually do think so. Um, this is what Mon Mothma has to say. Yeah. I believe, and I believe strongly, that the Republic needs Jedi that get their hands dirty and are part of Republic daily life. Jedi that live in ivory towers might be more dangerous than not no Jedi at all. You need, you need to look no further than our recent history to see that it has been the dark Jedi that have sought isolation. To be a Jedi of the light, a Jedi must be one with the people. There must be Jedi on every planet, a Jedi in every city, not a few planets full of Jedi and nothing else. There must be Jedi doing what ordinary folk do, Jedi who are our ordinary folk. There must be giant doctors and judges and soldiers and pilots and politicians. Interesting. Uh, I mean, to get another real-world parallel here, mm-hmm. you know, Pope Francis speaks about priests needing to smell like the sheep, mm-hmm. need to be of the, of the people and among the people in order to actually be, to connect with the people and, you know, show... Here's a, here's a funny word. To, to love and love is about being with and constant constancy with through struggle through joy and celebration you know that is how the Jedi can actually preserve light in life and and show what the will of the force is for the preservance of preserving of life mm-hmm. and for people to actually trust them and to know that they're there they're actually able to grasp the complexities of of whatever's going on uh, on the ground. I think something like Ray is capable of doing that. She's going to be in that and part of that. Jedi doctors and politicians as part of society? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that was the night. So here's the thing. Here's the thing, though, about the Jedi. Just in those 90s Legends books because we didn't yeah. have the prequels. And this could be a whole other topic that hopefully we might get a guest for later. Um, 
because we didn't know like where did Jedi come from and like how do you train Jedi and whatnot. Yeah. Luke's Jedi Order had a very what uh, some of the fans have always called blue collar working Jedi. Like these, just they you know they're not trained at birth. You know it's like some you know like uh, Kyle Katarn, not the podcast of the actual character. Um, you know he was a smuggler mercenary dude who then realized his dad was a Jedi and then he decided you know what I'm going to take on the Jedi life. But sort of like mm. you know even when he got more into the Jedi lifestyle, you know he still kind of had that rugged Han Solo ish kind of vibe. But just now he's training Padawans. Um, you know, and it's like Luke's Jedi where that's very kind of like Jedi, we do Jedi things, but we're, you know, we're, we all have very diverse backgrounds, you know, like I was raised as a pilot and I'm a smuggler. I was just a farm boy, you know, all kind of these um, very, you know, diff, diff, diverse backgrounds, which is actually kind of funny compared to the Jedi Order we kind of see in, or at least I don't yeah. know in canon because yep. at least from what little i remember of what george's own saying was george was pretty cool with the whole we need jedi babies and we gotta do it the prequel method which is interesting to say the least um he was kind of more for, for that at least in his interviews and yeah. kind of his views of things i mean uh, they, they did end up with them in the ivory tower though and that's the thing that, and that's the thing about George is that I don't think he thinks that this is a problem of how we go the Jai baby thing. Which, now, I do think now that George is gone, I don't think they're going to go that way. I think they are going to go for the... Something doesn't mean we have to agree. <laughs> oh, no. I, I know, I know. The Star Wars YouTube guys oh, just believe something. <laughs> oh, no, I, I agree as well. And I also think, you know, I mean, just looking at, you know, who are kind of the biggest Jedi in the current canon... Look at Caden Jarrus. Dude has pretty much a wife and family yeah. and a literal son. Um, you know, I would not be surprised if Jason Sindula, about to see Jason Silla, Jason Sindula is going to be set up to be a Jedi one day. Yeah. And, you know, he's, he's you know, he, he's not a baby. He's been with his mom. He's, what, 10 years, nine years, 10 years old at this point. Being in um, the, the Republic military hierarchy. He right? has that attachment to his mom. You know, he's been raised pretty normally for a kid um and i just think to kind of give i just think also just from kind of the cynical standpoint to give jedi i think people want jedi who are feel normal in this and you know to use that real world That's kind so of, believe me you know, <laughs> you know to use that real world parallel you know do i trust the catholic bishop in the fancy robe or do i want to trust the the, the the priest who i can feel like i can share a beer with and you can watch the wrestling and talk some maybe some sinful stuff. You know what I'm saying? You know, it's like, uh, we're not going to be all Mr. Oh, you know. Um, I don't know. I, I Have you ever seen the show? I, I'm a small tangent, but this had the point. Have you ever seen the show MASH? Have you seen MASH? Yeah, a little, a little bit. Yeah. You know, one of the characters is Father Mokei, and one of the things we love about Father Mokei is he's a Catholic creep. He's like, he's also like a boxer, and he's like, he joins yeah. the gang, and he kind of plays him tricks. So it's like, he feels like a normal guy. He just happens to be a priest. People who seem like real human beings. Yeah. Yes, and I do think, in terms of just what Disney probably wants from a, like a cynical marketing ploy, but also maybe in terms of like the actual story itself, it's, they are going to kind of maybe go to that '90s Legends Luke of like, you feel like real people who like who like who aren't like there's no like a council and stuff. They just go sort of like they're Jedi and they all live together maybe, but they yeah. kind of do real things. I mean, they kind of have to have some sort of decision making body, but <laughs> I mean. Yeah, I mean, you know, maybe yeah. they'll maybe they're small enough to all be just one singular vote. Yeah. Um, and, you know, some of that some of that legend stuff obviously is, of course, you know, yeah, they're 
they worked for a whole decade, both back and forth of no prequels. And then when the prequels come along, they tried to morph Luke's Jedi Academy to look more like the prequel Jedi. Um, and, you know, even the old Republic Jedi start to look a little bit more like the prequel Jedi. Like, there's the Jedi Council now and stuff like that. They're a little bit more of a centralized force. They all wear the same Obi-Wan style robes. <laughs> um, so, you know, there's there's that. Um, so there's that kind of behind the scenes thing. But yeah, I do yeah. I do wonder if both Ray's order will resemble that 90s Luke order of kind of the more grungy. Yeah. I mean, just grungy in terms of like we're all wearing black and leather, but just kind of that more, you know, Ray's kind of like not going to just find Jedi babies like, hey, you got force powers? Why don't you have a force academy? I need the people to help me. Yeah. Cool. You know, we're all kind of, even though like they spent 20 years as a pilot with a family or stuff, or they have wife and kids. This is getting me to think, you know, one of the reasons why the higher public Jedi are still more compelling and more trusted in the galaxy. At the very least, there's a sense that Padawans should go and explore life. They should, you know, there's one of the short stories in Tales of Light and Life is, is about Abadeo Azazo, who's a new Padawan that we see in Phase 3. And he goes off, he goes to Coruscant for the first time. This is basically me going to New York for the first time uh, a few weeks ago. He goes to Coruscant for the first time, and he gets lost. He gets into a bar fight. He meets a girl. You know, it's, it's you, know, you have Lula and Zine, Lula being a Padawan. Mm-hmm. You know, they have this relationship. With someone she isn't Zine isn't even a Jedi, hasn't grown up as a Jedi. So they are able to explore more, and that, that gets encouraged during the High Republic era, or at least in this time period. Yeah, I mean the, there is there's a profound point of wherever you're at. You know, I mean Obi-Wan has decks, right? right. There's still That's why it's one of the best best scenes in Clone Wars. Yeah. And I mean that literally too. It's, and it's why you know why we as as viewers are able to trust Obi-Wan more, I think, in part because, not just because, well, yeah, we saw him in 1977 in Attack of the Clones, we see him, we're, follow, we're following him in the story. Mm-hmm. Part because someone like Dex trusts him. Dex that trusts, you know, I'll say so. this as well. That always makes characters like Yoda so interesting because, yeah. like, on the one hand, I feel like sometimes they can write Yoda like living too much in that ivory tower, but I can also see Yoda going to Dex's diner just hanging out, like, Yoda seems always, like, I love it when Yoda gets mischievous. Like, mischievous Yoda is the best Yoda. Because, like, no, he's just not sitting in the, being old, to say wise words and then go away. Like, you know, he's being mischievous. He's hanging out with the kids. Or, it's like, he's he playing the pranks, too. Yeah. It's like, Especially Yoda with kids. You know. Obi-Wan, I mean, throughout Clone Wars, like, the whole uh, arc where he goes undercover. I mean, that he's way more mischievous, way more uh, relatable than, you know, the polished exterior we think he is. Right. Yeah, it's very, uh, very fascinating. Very but I, I realized we kind of we went a little off topic. Um, to kind of vert back, let's do the future. Oh, really? Jedi. I, actually, I don't think we're off topic at all. Frankly, I okay. Think, and that's part of the answer is how are the Jedi supposed to relate to the Republic in a more what, human way? Right, and you know it's interesting with Luke and Ray, mm-hmm. them, you know. In a certain, I do wonder what their feelings of the Republic will be, because really the only the only real connection they have to a Republic is through Leia. Yeah, you know, Leia is very. I mean, although by the end, Leia is kind of kind of kind of got over the Republic. It's like I got to form this military to fight the First Order, and I'm not getting any help from the Republic. Um, 
uh yeah y- y- yes um you know and um mm-hmm. uh, and you know luke his you know who leia his sister is probably like the one of the few good things that like leia would probably talk about what her father said like oh the republic was like this and like that's probably why luke maybe be a little bit more loyal to it oh we one lived in the republic Ray, on the other hand, like Ray lived in Jakku. No, nothing Jakku. Did Jakku ever talk to the Republic? I don't think so. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, Leia maybe... would have known Bale and Brad talking about the Republic. <laughs> yeah, you know, but I know I don't know what kind of like I don't know if like Leia during her training of Ray, um, you know, told her stories of the Republic during their time together. I would like to hope so, but again, it's sort of like. What are Ray's priorities right now? I mean, maybe, maybe, although to be fair, she has Poe and Rose, and I do think Poe, I, I, I am, and I say this with all seriousness, I would not be shocked if one day, like, going to the Chancellor's office and just sitting there as Poe Dameron, he, he gets Captain Kirk and becomes yeah, an admiral. Not? Yeah, why not? I mean, um, I mean, that was Leia's dream for him. Yeah, it was Leia's protege. Yeah, you know, that was, you know, that that's the thing about Poe that I really like about Last Jedi and the Rise of Skywalker novel brings in a lot is, um, although I think the movie does a pretty decent job as well, like, you know, like, Poe is not Han Solo, he's not the hotshot pilot, Leia sees Poe as like, no, you are, you are a leader, you are going to be diplomat, general, all in one, you can be the chancellor if you, if you put your mind to it, you're, you're, you're better than that, Poe, you got, you got more brain up here, um, so, you know, uh, you know, so maybe that's her connection to the Repu- to the Republic. If there is a galactic organization out there at, at all, um, I mean that's what's nice about the lo- the the lack of scale, the smaller mm-hmm. scale, is that those personal connections are more meaningful. Yeah, and you know, I if again, even if this is kind of the more uh, liberally kind of way of view, and it's like, well, the Republic's good now because you got Poe Jammered in the Chancellor's chair, and Ray's in the Jedi Grandmaster right. chair, and Rose in the she is the Defense Minister chair. So she's, hey, it's, she's it's the end of Game of Thrones, right? With the grand, the <laughs> yeah, you got all the good people in charge. Uh, you got all the smart, competent people in charge. You know, yeah. it, you know, it's like ah, uh, you know, it's like it's not that revolution. You're not really that. But you know, at the same time, it's Star Wars fantasy. So, uh, but so I don't want to. I don't want to get into it that much. We've been here for two hours. But yeah. if if there is to be a Jedi Republic relationship, it's because all of Ray's pals are now kind of in charge. Kind of like how in a lot of ways Luke's pals were in charge. That's kind of the reason why Luke kept in touch with the Republic. It's not like he's going to join another faction because you know Leia's there, Han's there, Bob Mossman's there. I mean, you know. Mon and Mon, Mon, Mon and Luke are not like buddy buddy, but you know, you know, uh, I mean, Luke looks up to Mon, Mon and Ahsoka are Akbar's there. Some, there's some connection, you know, Mon <laughs> era. Ahsoka, there's some cahoots going on with this show. I mean, Ahsoka you know, in another galaxy right now, but yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll. I guess we can talk a little about Ahsoka now. I, we can. We have that is our kind of closest Jedi Republic connection now. Sure. It's like. Ahsoka's still allies with the Republic. She's not. There's no. There might not be an official Jedi order that Republic sanctions or approves or funds or whatever. But you know, when Ahsoka is doing her investigation, she brings along Hera because Hera's a Republic general, and you know, Hera's like, yeah, this Jedi here is to is here with me on a on a public business. And Mon Mothma also is like, okay, cool. You know, I, I trust the Jedi, so I trust. Yeah. Ahsoka. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Leia's like, yeah, yeah, we, we trust this this Jedi to do so. Do that, that even 
in a kind of de facto way that that connection still remains. Um, I mean, all of this to say is a lot, we, we got to wrap up, but yep. to say it's as if Star Wars is a character driven story, <laughs> you mm. know? Yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, and I love talking about institutions and large scale. That's what I love about Higher Public is it's so many of these characters together making for an institutional picture or picture of these institutions that are just groups of people with their with their roles and their rules and regulations, but also responsibilities and their sense of responsibility personally for the galaxy. So yeah, to see that with Ahsoka and with Luke and with Ray, to continue that. Um, curious to see uh, if, if they. I, I trust the creatives to be asking these questions, but I, I think they're going to get into it with uh, character driven uh, character driven focus, like the Luminous authors all have. Right. I mean, that's the thing that they'll tell you is, yeah, there are these institutional questions. What do the Jedi fear? What do the Jedi hope for? That's a personal question, too. So, I mean, yeah, you know, uh, it'll be very curious to see if in a few years, hopefully, cross your fingers, strike it all. Well, strike it over, but I'll strike it all infected. where, you know, are we going to see Ray, you know, Capitol Academy? And then there's one scene where Ray needs to go to a Senate panel and Poe Dameron's in the big chair with the hammer. I don't know. I hope so. I'd be cool. But yeah, yeah I, I, but yeah, it is kind of is that character driven where it's like if the, if the powers that be are not your friends, then what are they? Like they're either neutral or your enemies. Um, maybe that's, that's, that's also the fantasy story element to it, right? Is <laughs> being more personal focused. That may not be perfectly realistic, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, but that kind of answer, I guess that's that's all. Any last thoughts before we? I, think, I mean, I think that's what we've got so far. And that's yeah. the thing. Is what we have in the sequel trilogy is very character-driven story. Uh, at least, you know, The Lost Jedi especially. Being very character-driven. And, and Ray, I mean, Ray being... That's the funny thing about the sequel trilogy. The best thing about the sequel trilogy is that its main character is the best character. Yep. <laughs> you know? Uh, the best thing you can say is, is Ray is actually really interesting. And where she goes, we want to know. We care about where she goes. So, Me too. Yeah. Yep. Fun times. All right. I think that does it for tonight. Yeah, we kind of did. We did a whole swath of thousands of years of history. <laughs> thousands of years in two hours. That's a very uh, convoluted, complex topic that we don't have clear answers for. But I think we got to, you know, kind of different, different ideas. Very, very classic EOC deep dive. Uh, thanks, everyone, for joining us this week. Last time, what you thought uh, our conversation? What do you think the Jedi Republic relationship should be? How do you think it's been characterized in legends and in canon stories in the High Republic, etc.? Uh, in Old Republic, New Republic, uh, yeah. In, in your favorite story, let me know what you thought about Ahsoka. Let us know uh, down below in the comments. Um, give this video a like, a share, subscribe to the Star Wars Underworld YouTube Network YouTube channel. Of course, the flagship is going to be back at 9 p.m. on Thursday. No tractor beam this week, but we will be back next week at 5.30 Pacific, 8.30 Eastern. Uh, yeah, let's get back to plugs here. Uh, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me at JID2021 on Twitter. Again, JID2021 on Twitter. And, of course, at the Ion Cannon Pod on Twitter. But mostly you can find me on the Star Wars Underworld Discord, where we always have lots of fun discussion about all sorts of Star Wars topics and more. 
that's right. That's Ion Cannon Pod, E Y E O N C A N P O C A N O N P O D. Find me on Twitter, uh, N A U G 485, Instagram and threads, M N E U G 1138. And yeah, at Iron Cannon Pod, Twitter, Instagram, and threads as well. At the SW, check the flagship there. Check out Dom's San Diego Comic Con interview. That was a really great interview that he did a few months ago, but still. A lot to chew on as phase three begins. Next week, we are talking about Ahsoka. We're going letting it out. We're letting it out. We're, letting it all out. we're also going to focus a bit on masters and the teams of masters and apprentices. Uh, different different things, different ideas. We'll see what we cook up. There's a lot to talk about, but in true Iron Cannon fashion, we're not, we don't tend to go blow by blow with episodes. The flagship is. They are definitely going, as, as Dom mentioned, on the flagship. They're doing their episode breakdown, so check that out uh, with the whole, the whole the good old podcast here. Yeah, I, I don't say that because I mind it. I say that because it's fun. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, but until then, uh, let's blow this thing and head home.